Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 813 with Amy Olexi. You know, that was always, that was an image for me I was very comfortable with, and I still am. You know, it's like your work for me is really my identity. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Does your hospitality extend beyond the four walls of your business? Well, if it doesn't, it could with Ovation. So what is Ovation? Ovation is an omni-channel two-question survey that gets happy guests to leave positive reviews and unhappy guests to chat instantly with you or your team to resolve the issue in real time before they leave a bad review or they never come back. And with this channel of communication, you can easily see trends of what is driving positive and negative experiences. Not only does it improve your communication and your relationship with your guest, it also is a tool to drive revenue. You can drive revenue with third to first party ordering conversion. You can drive revenue with a rainy day text blast. You can also drive revenue when your guests automatically download your loyalty app. To learn more, head over to www.ovationup.com slash unstoppable. And when you use your link, you can get 2000 free text messages to help you start getting more feedback, reviews, and revenue. Again, that's ovationup.com slash unstoppable. A lot of people are talking about Restaurant 365, and that's probably because they are the only cloud-based, all-in-one restaurant management software with restaurant-specific accounting, inventory, scheduling, and payroll plus HR. Restaurant 365 is perfect for the multi-location restaurant business. Their customers have seen 5% decrease in food and beverage costs because they have access to more actionable data. Restaurant 365 is the king of integrations with over 90 integrations with the POS, including hundreds of vendors and thousands of banks, so you have a truly connected system. No more man Managing out of multiple systems. Lastly, Restaurant 365 empowers your management team with real-time P&L with access to check-level detail. No more waiting on your accounting teams for P&Ls weeks later. To learn more, head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable. And if you use that link, you will save 50% off your first month. Streamline your clean faster than ever before with Ecolab Sink and Surface Cleaner Sanitizer. Ecolab's two-in-one sink and surface cleaner sanitizer is one product that can both clean and sanitize food contact surfaces in front of house, back of house, and the third sink. Like other EPA-registered food contact surface sanitizers, it helps protect against foodborne illness. To learn more, visit ecolab.com slash unstoppable or talk to your Ecolab representative. What's going on, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today, and I cannot wait to get into it. But before we get started, just a quick reminder that this podcast needs your support, and there's a few ways you can support it. You can support our sponsors, and I do not let just anybody sponsor the show. I really do vet our sponsors, and I'm working really hard 
to develop relationships with the tools and services that are being recommended organically on the show as sponsors. So just keep that in mind when you're supporting our sponsors, you're supporting the show, you can use our affiliates. Those are the tools and services that are recommended organically. Anytime that happens and they have an affiliate program, I just reach out to them. I say, Hey, let me sell your stuff. And they usually let me, and then you can share this thing with everybody and anybody you know who's aspiring to be great in the industry. The vision is to transform the industry by transforming you at an individual level. If we can transform the industry at the individual level, we will transform the world. I believe that. And um, you sharing the word about this podcast is doing your part in, in this mission. So thank you in advance. And then lastly, come hang out in the network. Today, we're talking to Amy Olexi. Amy Wow, what a story she has. A uh, high school dropout, drop, flying or just getting all over the country at a young age, getting experience in the restaurant industry uh, before coming back to Philadelphia, where she was basically pioneering a uh, part of the pioneering, one of the, the pioneering forces behind the farm to table movement. Uh, Amy today is the chef owner of Tallulah's Table, a hybrid gourmet cafe in BYOB in Kennett Square, Pennsylvania, that hosts nightly 12 person tastings so incredibly coveted that it has been dubbed the toughest table in America to get into or get to get. Uh, Amy is also the chef and co-owner in collaboration with Star Restaurants of several of Philadelphia's most notable restaurants, including Tallulah's Garden, Tallulah's Daily, and The Love. So with no further ado, here it is. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, owner and founder of Tallulah's Table and co-owner and founder of Tallulah's Garden, Tallulah's Daily, and The Love, Amy Alexi. Amy, are you feeling unstoppable today? Unstoppable, definitely on this day, yeah. It's a gorgeous day, isn't it? Yeah, Philadelphia Unstoppable. I really did pick a great week to come (laughs) to Philadelphia. I can't wait to dive into your story because I know it's a good one, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Mantras, you know, they're all so positive mantras. But yeah. I, I was thinking, you know, my body is not a temple, actually. <laughs> I like to ran, uh, run it down, wear it out, you know. Yeah. Uh, that- in, in the restaurant business, you know, you're, you're kind of like, let's not be easy on our bodies. Let's work really hard and run around and do the steps and carry yeah. the trays. So, Do you think that's something uh, that needs to change? Um. I like it. I mean, for me, that's what's exhilarating. You know, yeah. I was definitely a person who was like, you know, I'm not sitting on my butt all day in a hole in a desk and a, under the lighting. So, yeah. you know, but you you push your body in this business. So it's definitely a young you know, person's game. Yeah. For so sure. yeah, the thing of like wellness and purity and stuff. You know, the restaurants uh, they don't always allow for that. There's a lot of truth to that. And I think that's kind of one of the things that like we, we that's like kind of like the big trend right now is like we're learning so much about wellness and the restaurant industry is all about generosity and giving, mm-hmm. but we're, we're, we're giving and there's nothing left on the table for us. Right? Yeah. I mean, we're the vessel, yeah. you know, so we're, we're the vessel. And I often think about that, you know, when you see this, like our body is a temple and, you know, we, we spend the time and we're like, oh, moisturize and, you know, take a, take an ice bath and stuff. And in the restaurant business, you know, we're just, we're lucky if we're like slipping our clogs on and they match, you yeah. know, and you're like, you remembered to clean your socks. Well, thanks for getting real, mm-hmm. like right out of the yeah. gates. Cause that's the truth. You know? <laughs> that is the truth. And I'm really excited for your story. Cause uh, I know you're over 20 years in the industry. You've oh been, yeah, definitely. You've been uh, back in Philly for almost 20 years. Yeah. But where does it make sense to start? your story because you was yeah. high school when you first started working in the restaurant. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, it's for me, 
you know, I was a little kid. I was probably um, maybe 14. I have a daughter who just turned 16. So I, I feel like I was a little younger than she is now. And uh, my mom dropped me off at a little French cafe that was down the street. I remember I was just, I was always hustling. I had a paper route. I was babysitting. I was like the little kid in the neighborhood that could always, you know, help around your house. And she suggested to me that maybe I go into this cafe and I could get a job. I remember my mom planted it. She said, walk in the door and ask if you can sweep floors. Mm. And, uh, you know, she was, you know, she was always kind of, you know, keeping us busy. I walked in the door and I was like, do you have any, do you need any help sweeping floors? You know, <laughs> And um, this woman who ended up becoming an incredible mentor and amazing woman in my life, uh, Michelle Haynes, that owned that little cafe, um, she, in her thick French accent, um, was like, I do. And do you know how to do laundry? And I was like, yes, I can do that. And so then after school, around three o'clock, I would go there around three to eight. And it was that time in a restaurant where it was, in, you know, I didn't know it then, yeah. but it was in between lunch and dinner. And I did the laundry and then I swept the floors and then I started to, you know, that was, I started there and, you know, then years later I was like making cassoulet. Yeah, a little <laughs> more, a little more, yeah. a little more. Uh, you said it was Michelle Haynes was this woman's name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and she was a huge mentor. Yeah. Uh, what were the biggest lessons she taught you? Um, You know, she... Work, uh, you know, hard work, you know, this thing. And I think this is a definitely a thread for me, but I was never afraid of hard work. And for me, I, as a, you know, I, I was always seeing that in my life and with, you know, my family and my brothers and, um, we were, we had jobs, we were working and my parents were working and, you know, she was a woman who had a little French cafe and she was in there morning, noon and night, you know, she'd sit there on the stool and read the newspaper and have her coffee, but she'd answer the phone for reservation calls Yep. and she would receive the orders and then do some prep. So, you know, that was always, that was an image for me. I was very comfortable with, and I still am. You know, it's like your work for me is really my identity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and I couldn't help but think like when you just hearing you say hard work, one of the things I love about this industry is that it's such no matter who you are, or what your background is, you have just as much as a fair, of a fair shot, I feel like, as anybody who comes from like a, a privileged background because regardless of what your privilege is you still got to do the work right it's so true and you really yeah it is an equalizer in this yeah. um in this place and a lot of the stuff we do you know it's like it's very domestic and it's just very you know it's very basic activities that we do a lot in restaurants in combination with these really creative and these you know uh, wildly like hospitable experiences and these really creative things. But then, you know, we combine it with sweeping the floors and doing the laundry, yeah. and folding the napkins. So you eventually did some, you went to school, you majored in uh, English lit and you mm -hmm. were still working in restaurants. Yeah. And at this point you're managing, but before we move away from Michelle, is there any other mm -hmm. key lessons she taught you? The, um, you know, wearing many hats, you know, and maybe that was, um, you know, the, I mean, I, I fortunately stepped into a, one of these little businesses. You know, I walked into someone's little vision yeah. that was almost like a little household. And when you're, you know, restaurants are also, they remind me of little households, but, um, you, we, you know, you did everything. So you answered the phone, you counted the money, you got dumped the ice, you made ice, you cleaned the fridge, you know, you did everything. You did cooking, you prep. So for me, like the mindset, when I think of restaurants, the origin, even though now I have, you know, over 300 staff and I have restaurants for me, I, I still, it's, 
very important for me to know how to do everything. And I love kind of teaching everybody to wear every hat and to see the big picture because that perspective really shaped me. Yeah. I sometimes have trouble when I work with people that have like a tunnel, you know, I appreciate their tunnel vision. If it's just maybe on a, you know, particular aspect and they're really into cocktails or just a particular, you know, wine program for me, they're like the house. You got to know the whole house. Yeah. But I think that's like, you know, there's a place for those people. And then Mm -hmm. there's also the Jill of all trades, which I've seen be called. (laughs) Uh, And I think that's a, that there's a lane for that too. And I think that if you are that type of person who likes to like move around and like, you know, call an audible every night and just kind of get a little bit of Mm -hmm. everything. That's a good person to be. If you want to be a restaurateur, because you have to, like you said, you have to know how to do every job and it's important because why, why do you think it's so important to know how to do every job? I don't want to say, I don't want, well, you know, it might not be that way for everyone. For me, that's my flow. You know, yeah. like I, I function when I, I, I'm doing everything and I'm kind of top line making sure I have my finger on every pulse in the building yeah. and everyone's pulse. Yeah. Um, I do think it's important because it's your most relatable then. So when you're like managing people in different departments and you're managing food runners and hosts and reservationists and, you know, cool prep, prep cooks and things like that. You have to be able to speak their language and, and, and be relatable to them. Yeah. Um, so my, you know, I like expect myself to be like that. Yeah, you need I, to know their perspective. Yeah, I have too. to walk up yeah. to the pastry chef and, and be able to talk about the quality of the strawberries. Yeah. So I have to like eat them, you yep. know, and, yep. and be on top of it. So yep. for me, it's like, that's very, that's actually the very hard for me to keep up on, but I'm very, um, it's very important for me to keep up on. I and I spend that. a lot of my energy making sure that I like, I, I respect what they're doing by knowing what they're up to. Like I got to know what they're making. And it's it's been said on the show before too, as you're scaling a business before you outsource or delegate that role of every aspect of your business, you should do it yourself because you never know when that person that you've delegated it to or that company you've outsourced to, you're going to cut the tie and and you have to get right back into doing it. So you need to know how to do everything because you never know when you're going to have to fill that role too. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, as a business owner, I mean, this is a thing that you lose sleep over that I find and I coach others when they're trying to get into this business. You know, there's no like, owning a food truck with not without running it yeah. you know like you can't run the lemonade stand you don't have to be the best at everything but <laughs> yeah. you, you do need to know how to get yeah. in there and, and hobble you know if you have to for a little while totally uh, so what uh, i have a quick funny story about that the you know uh, we use valets at Tallulah's garden and i when i first hired valets because our guests wanted them. I didn't really want to have valet, but people would, do you have valet? Do you have a, and I was like, if I hire these valets, I have to make sure I know how to valet. (laughs) So I remember like one night I'm like, I'm just going to hang out with you guys and spend an hour. I want to learn how to do the tickets and make sure where do I put the keys. And then you guys just know how to drive every car. (laughs) What if it's a standard? (laughs) I'm just like, wait a second. But I'm like, I know how I got to know how to valet. When I first started this podcast, I was valeting part time just because it was so flexible. And they're always looking for people to pick up shifts. It's a fun job. Yeah. I really enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, okay. So moving on to with your story, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you, there were a couple of other restaurants I picked up on before you went out west yeah. to Denver. Uh, but is it worth diving into those experiences? Yeah. The, um, I mean, you know, it was. I mean, the cafe Spring Mill Cafe was most seminal for me with Michelle Haynes, and you know, then I did. You know, I started my journey of like learning all the jobs in a restaurant. So was, I worked. So at this th- point, are you like I'm going to be a restaurant person? This is what I want to do. 
Um, I was kind of finding my zone there. You know, I, I kind of thought I might combine it with my education. I loved writing mm-hmm. and I had a little idea where I might be into food writing or food history or studying the food scene in some way, maybe from the perspective of owning a restaurant. I do think there's a lot of opportunity yeah. for, uh, if you do have that skill to use that skill, whether it be PR or just branding or copy or menu development, yeah. writing your menu. I think there is definitely verticals within this industry if you're a good writer to like leverage yeah i use it a lot so i kind of was like some way i'm going to bridge these things and one of the natural and more civilized ways to do that i was like well i might get into management and culinary so i was cooking and baking and i was doing bartending you know i was starting to work through the ranks of the restaurant then um you know then i ultimately moved out west um and I was living in Boulder and Denver area. What brought you out there? What was the purpose? My, um, I grew up with four brothers or three brothers, one of four. And uh, my brother, Josh, was an awesome skier, an avid skier. And he had moved prior. We were like very tight. And he had moved to Steamboat and Crested Butte. So then I was like, well, I don't want to go too deep into the mountains like he did. But I was really interested in the service scene and stuff. So my I went to Boulder. sister spent a year in Crested Butte. It's uh, gorgeous yeah. out there. Yeah. But I know what you're, it's deep <laughs> yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. You're on an island in the, in the So I was like, well, let me be up in Boulder, you know, in Denver and kind of be part of a city that's starting to jump into the service industry. Yeah. And that's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's really when Boulder was starting to really take yes, off. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so uh, I, I want to point out something that, that came by quickly, but it's worth bringing to the service is getting in and doing a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Early on in your career, like mix it up, figure, like tr- get that perspective to find out what it is that truly lights you up. So at this point, what were you starting to realize? What was lighting you up at this point? What was exciting you? I'm, you know, I loved, I felt pretty comfortable, um, with wine. You know, I was, I was, I loved again, travel. I understood re, you know, region and travel. Well, um, again, working in the French cafe, I was exposed to a lot of opening wine and I had been around a wine. So that was coming naturally to me. Um, cooking and my background in kind of working in the cafe and French cooking and speaking French was very comfortable for me. So that, um, you know, I was leaning a little bit into this very homespun, you know, um, you know, like little chef owner concept, that sort of thing. And I, you know, I was, it was interesting that you you asked leaning into this, you started having the vision of this is what you want to do, or that's where you're going to look. No, I was kind of like a little bit thinking I, I still need to collect, you know, these skills, but I was like, I need to know how to cook well. And then I need to, to understand how to run business. I started to notice that I, and I knew this my whole life, you know, I'm a like high school dropout. I'm, I'm never conformed. You know, I'm, I've just always been like that. The, um, I was like always starting to see myself wanting to kind of control my own destiny. So I was watching people with their little businesses. I'd go to farmer's markets and, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be, I'd love little juice bars and coffee shops. I was really into little business, but I was wanting to combine that with, you know, food and wine. So I was studying those kind of places. Okay. Um, uh, and I mean, is but, it you worth- know, I had no mean, you know, then I was just like, I was that kid, you know, I was like looking at places, you know? Yeah. I mean, the, the two restaurants I have on my, on my list that you worked at in Colorado were Q's restaurant in Boulder mm-hmm. in, uh, Penzano's, am I yeah, saying it correctly? Yeah. Or Penzano. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is your first like real well you were managing in other restaurants before yeah. but was this an evolution for you was this a step up was yeah it definitely I had I had been bartending and I had you know I'd been kind of moving through like 
you know, serving and bartending and, and things like that before I moved, you know, and when I was working through college, for sure. Then um, out in Boulder, I... Um, at the Hotel Boulderado, I took a management job there and it was, it ultimately ended up being a general management, uh, promotion and I ended up running, you know, the different outlets in the Hotel Boulderado. And, um, again, I was working with a chef owner that was an awesome guy, but he was also a person that was wearing a lot of hats. And I think that was a thing that I was always drawn to. I'd look for roles. Um, I wasn't a person who would like answer an ad ever. I would always be like, if I want, I want to work in Victory Brewing, you know, and I'd like go talk to them and I'd be like, Hey, can I talk to the people, you know, and I'd usually yeah. try to always go in for jobs that way. Um, so when I worked at Q's, you know, again, when you work with these chef owners, you get the exposure, you know, they're always front and back of the house, you know, or vice versa. Maybe it's like a sommelier owner, that sort of thing. Um, so that was a, that was a really cool role. I had a big staff and I think it was at that point that I realized I, I had a, a skill with managing staffs Okay. and I had I had people skills and I could work with big teams and I had a little bit of a voice in, um, and leading them, you know, and kind of exciting a team. So take us deeper into that. How were you exciting these teams? What was it about leadership that was so natural to you? Paint that picture of doing the job well and what that looked like. I mean, first from, from the perspective, you know, that I was a person that was, a, I was cooking. I, I was in the front of, I knew how to bartend. I knew how to cook, you know, so I could talk to chefs. I could talk to the service staff. So my language that I spoke, I think was really relatable. You know, I was like, you know, I was a, you know, I, I would be, on, I, you know, I used to be on dead tour and I sold clothes and sandwiches and stickers and stuff. And I could tell stories and I could relate to a lot of people that have done some really interesting things. And in that Colorado scene, it was very easy for me to walk into a, or create a staff meeting and walk into it and say like, you know, guys, how are we going to work as a team and, you know, clean the restaurant today or get ready for the big Sunday service or the marathon, you know, crowd or something like that. So, you know, I was, I was, I liked, um, allowing people to have a their own voice in the show. So I would talk to people like I'm one of them because I was, I am one yeah. of them, you know, like well, the I'm word like, you used was relatable. Yeah. You, you became relatable. And part of that is yeah. taking, becoming relatable is talking to people and, and finding similar interests and be, yeah. becoming like, like one or you are one of them. Like you were saying, it, you know, I don't know why it, it was, you know, maybe we'll discover it <laughs> when we talk here. But for me, like, it was very evident to people that my work was what I, I loved. You know, I was thinking about it all the time and not in an obsessive way, just it's what I was doing. You know, it's what, what is I it thought about, about this that you love so much? We haven't really gotten into that. What is it specifically about food and beverage and hospitality that lights you up? The, you know, it's hard because when I, if I take different pieces away, um, you know, it, it is the whole experience that I love. And I, I love seeing the guests enjoy experiences. But for me, I have in my businesses, I have different places. I have cafes, I have restaurants. So I enjoy different experiences. For me, probably at the, 
at the heart of it is the food. I mean, at the heart of it, you can never pull the food out of it for me. Mm -hmm. So I, I love all aspects of food. So, you know, I'm really into coffee. I'm really into baking. I love the most beautiful baguette. I love cheese. I've studied cheese for many years, you know, so I love like makers and artisans and I love chefs, you know, I love their ability to create and artists. And then I appreciate like servers and their ability to like run their own little mini sections all night long and to like buy into a culture. So like for me, I like all the pieces so much, but if you pulled the plug on the food, you know, that's where it all begins for me. There's a, there's a massive piece there. Yeah. And the great thing about this industry or just food in general is like you will, if you like to learn, you will never run out of material. So true. It's always, there's just, it's so deep. Yeah. And just one genre, like cheese alone, you'll never learn out. Wine alone, you'll never learn out. Yeah. My Tallulah's table, um, you know, it is essentially a, a hybrid market business that every little profit center of the food business re- is represented in there. I mean, it's a cheese yeah. shop and a bakery and, and a I can't fine dining restaurant. Yeah, I want to I mean? dissect these businesses. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm just trying to kind of figure out how you got yeah. there. Uh, but at this point, it sounds like you internalized and you know that this is what you want to do. And you're starting to get a little bit more intentional. You know you want to open your own place maybe and you know you want it to be chef driven small. Yeah. Um, I kind of, you know, maybe it's that thing where you, your core identity, you know, kind of comes to bear at a certain time in your life. But, you know, maybe it's that time when I worked in the cafe and that's what I saw and it, put, it lit a spark and, and that stuck there a bit. Yeah. Um, I definitely knew survival was really important to me. I, you know, I didn't come from a, a family that had a lot and stuff. So in the restaurant, you know, bartending, serving, you know, you make money. So like I could see survival too. I was like, I think I can do this well. And I see how I can make a living and an income and save. And that was critical for me. So it was an answer to a lot. You know, I was, I was starting to be good at it and it worked. How much were you saving? How much like, and I think this is important to get into because I think a lot of young professionals don't quite know how to budget and manage and put money away if they do want to open a place. Yeah, yeah. But just to save and to have a little bit of a nest egg put away so you can have a, a security deposit or whatever it is. Yeah. Were you how much were you were you were you really actively trying to save Absolutely. to open a restaurant? <laughs> I mean, I didn't know I was saving to open a restaurant per se. Yeah. But um I am telling you like um the I was always the kid who was like, I'll pick up your shift. Yeah. You know, like, do you want me to work overtime? Yeah. I just, again, like I told you, I was the paper route, the kid with the paper route, and I, I would always try to, like, make the tip. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the cool thing about this yeah. industry. You can choose to make $500 a week, or you yes. can choose to make $1,000 a week. I, and there's always going to be somebody to yeah, get up the shift. I have that speech with the staff a lot, especially yeah. during um, COVID. Yeah. I mean, this has been a conversation that we've had a lot. And if there is the nest egg time, you know, people have reflected on it recently. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you know, I, it's hard to say because you forget back then, you know, everything yeah. cost like 50 cents. And there are shifts to pick up right now. Yeah, but like, <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what. Um, but no, I, I mean, I would, I remember I used to be organized. I'm, I always like, I live off of like a list of things to do and stuff. I think I would always try to save like 500 bucks a week. I know it sounds crazy, but I recall being like, if I, and I used to, I think I used to always think, 
Five, save five hundred dollars a week. That'll it's be twenty five thousand. Yeah, yeah, it'd be twenty five thousand dollars a year. If I have twenty five thousand dollars, and in five years I would have a hundred thousand yeah. dollars. I, I, you know, when you have nothing and you're not like there's no nest egg, and your family isn't going to deliver some thing to you at some point in your life, you you really like count it and live yeah. off of it. Yeah, I, I highly recommend everybody listening to this. Every dollar that you make, take 10 cents and put it yeah. into a checking account. Yeah. Literally, at the end of each week, take 10% of everything you made, put it into a checking account that you never look at. And then 10 years from now, you're going to look at that checking account and there's going to be $100,000 in there and yeah. you'll never know it was missing. It feels good. You know, I yeah. don't want to be like, hey, money's the answer. But it's nice to have a level of security to have a bit of free will. Yep. And, you know, you got to recharge a little bit in this business. And yeah. I, I'm, I mean, I'm... I am the fastest recharger there is, but sometimes to recharge, you know, you have to spend some money and take yep. a, take away. a minute and get yeah. away and not feel stressed about that. Yeah. Recharge. Was that what you were doing in France? Was that, a, or was that intentional? Like I love cheese and wine. Yeah, and I, I did. Wine. Yeah. Okay. I intentionally went in, in the Southwest and studied in the Vaucluse, um, and studied wine and cheese. And how long were you there? Um, Six months. Okay, yeah, that's a good time. Yeah, a good amount of time. And I did some things where I just like t- took that risk. You know, I was like, could I? Um, 22, I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I like a, chi- a, a, a goat cheese farm there. I was like, can I stay with you for a little bit? I, you know. So you did all this, FYI. All of the things we discussed yeah. up to this point, you did before the age of 22. Yeah. Manage all these restaurants yeah. in Boulder. I think that's huge. That's another thing I look back on. I definitely, I think I was always a little bit, you know. Well, you dropped out of high school. so you I were, moved you a little fast. fast. Yeah. yeah. And I had two older brothers, you know, and you just grow up faster, yeah. you know. And I, um, you know, I was a middle kid and, you know, your family's busy. And I remember that, you know, I'd get kind of pushed into like get a job, do those things because, you know, you're. You, you watch other people do it, and that was yeah. the way it was then. And I think it's so, so important um, in this industry. The other cool thing about the restaurant industry is that it's a ticket to anywhere in the world. 100%. A ticket to anywhere Absolutely. in the world. Do it while you can. Even me, like I, I am, I'm doing all that I do right now, and I think about that once in a while. Because, you know, you're, you're constantly reinventing it. And I'm like, this... I could at some point go work on a boat, you know, yeah. somewhere and be serve wine and cook them a special dinner. For sure. You know? If you're good at this job, yeah. and you have natural talent for this job. Yeah. You can go anywhere in the world, get that perspective, travel, especially if you know you want to open a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Part of what people are buying is your story. Yeah. So if you are just do it, look at it, look at it as an investment in your storyline yeah. and just the perspective you're going to get doing that, seeing different parts of the world, bringing all those different parts, having them influence and compound it within you to, to be something that you can extend later in life. Right? Yeah. I mean, on the other hand, you know, I, I talk to some people in my staff, uh, particularly, you know, the world can feel really big when you're young. And the idea of like, what am I going to do with my life is so daunting for so many people and young people in this business. And I often say like, and I remind them, especially about food in the United States, I'm like, the, the U.S. is just a mecca for food. Sometimes when you're in this business, you know, there's some allure to like France and Spain and, you know, checking out the food scene everywhere. And... I worry sometimes people are like, if I, a chef, if I don't go to France, you know, do I know anything about food? And I'm like, the food scene in the U.S. is awesome. Yeah. You know, like travel, take a 
quick trip in your like region and go find like killer crabs and a guy that's got an oyster farm. You know, there's so many cool ways to jump in this industry. Yeah, for sure. And to educate yourself at a young age and, uh, you know, later in life. So were you thinking you wanted to be a cheese and, and wine specialist? Was, was that kind of what you were thinking? Yeah, I was kind of, you know, I was kind of heady and I would always like to dig into like things a little bit. And cheese, once I came back from France, you know, cheese, I, I was... I was ahead of my time in cheese. Nobody around in the region was doing cool cheese courses. And there yeah. wasn't a bunch of American artisanal farms and things like that. Um, so, and the few cheese shops that were around, you know, I was Importing, like, probably, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. And they were, they were amazing people, you know, Fairway Market and Murray's and stuff. But I was like, there's nothing like that around the Philadelphia area. You know, so I started to do stuff like that. And... And I talked to people about it, and then I would talk to people, and they're like, "I love cheese." Who doesn't? Love <laughs> you know cheese? what I mean? And they're like, "My, you know, I went to France once, and I had this cheese, and I've never had anything like it." And I noticed cheese more than wine. You know, it like is it just infected people. They were like, one time I had an omelet with this. It was so delicious. Cheese is amazing. Yeah. It's an amazing thing yeah. that we've invented. Uh, <laughs> so you were back in Philly in 1999. Yeah. This is after your trip to France. What's yeah. going on internally at this point? You, you have this experience under your belts. Why did you come back to Philly? Um, not the happiest story, but my brother that I told you about that lived in Crested Butte, um, he was sadly in an accident and died. Oh, no. Um, so then I became, you know, oh, I was like, I can't be in Colorado without Josh, you know, it was hard. Yeah. Um, and my mom was back here and stuff like that. So I, I was like feeling it, you know, and I was like, but I want to come back. Yeah. And, um, I also, I loved Colorado, but I was like more East coast. There was something about me. I was raised in this area and yeah. I was like, there was a piece of me that I was like, this is my home. So I was pretty comfortable to come back and be with her and kind of be in the area and kind of, I did that thing, you know, where I think a lot of people boomerang, you know, you go away, you check something out and then you're like, but I'll go back to where I'm from. Yeah. They all know me, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. So I definitely um, came back to that area and I think that's when I really felt my like zone. I was like, I'm going to plant myself here and to some degree, you know, the time was right for me to dig in. Yeah. You know, I needed it mentally. So it sounds like this is the yeah. first time in your life where you're like, okay, yeah, I know what I want. Mm-hmm. I'm going for it. Yeah. I'm going to start living intentionally. Yeah. So paint that picture of what living intentionally looked like and what you were doing. Mm. Let me just see if I agree with that premise first. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned right. earlier that you, well, I want a job at uh, yeah. was a revolutionary. Yeah. Victory. Uh, victory yeah, yeah, totally. Victory, yeah. yeah. So, no, you're right. Um, let's see. Um, the, yeah, I mean, I was definitely living intentionally. I was, I, I, I had decided, you know, I had kind of done some cool things and was living in beautiful, like the high country in Colorado and all this stuff. So I was like, I got to work. Cause again, you know, remember as a little girl, I was like, I'm a worker be, you know? So I'm like, I got to work. I got to have a job. So came to Philly. I started to look around and I was like, where can I get a job and go anywhere with it and continue to learn and be kind of elite. So I took a job at the four seasons. Okay. I was like, that's rock star, you know, that's good. And I've got, I've trained myself. I can hang with these people. I, I put myself in that environment because I was like, I have to survive and I'm, I can take this job anywhere if I Mm -hmm. do well at it. Um, and I was like, nah, I can't, I did it. And then I was like, 
corporate, Four Seasons. Pretentious. Yes, uniform. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I, this wasn't Amy. You know, yeah. I was like, I, you know, I own like jeans and Birkenstocks. You yeah. know, I was like, I gotta can't do this. Yeah. But I, you know, I could still, I, I could do the shift meetings and taste dishes and I, stuff. I think there's something to be said if you are somebody who spent the majority of your career in small mom and pop, yeah. uh, chef driven concepts they don't always do systems and processes that well, right? Yeah. So it's really good to get into an organization like the Four Seasons. Is that a Hilton? Was it owned um, by Hilton or Marriott? I think I think they're their own. Is it? Company, Four, yeah, yeah, I believe. But high standards, yes. corporate. Yeah, uh, high standards for sure. Yeah, and systems. High, yeah. High, like big big on systems and processes, right? That was enticing so, for me. So what did, did you learn anything? Does anything stick out in your mind as far as how they did mm-hmm. things? That maybe wasn't, maybe the branding wasn't you, the soul wasn't you, yeah. but did you pull any of those systems? Absolutely. Like yes. What? I was impressed by that actually. And I, 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 and this is something I always recommend to people. You have to be in the space in your head to receive, like you have to buy into stuff. So I always, I'm like, I, when you, you know, you need a job, you know, I needed that job and I wanted to succeed at it because I want to continue to have a good career and, yes. you know, do good things. So um, I, I went in full hog and I was like, let me, you know, follow what I think I did learn from that is that ability to conform a little bit and to like, you know, f- follow the routine and like carry yourself in the, in the pattern that somebody asks you to, and to like model the way they want you to model the programming and to, you know, I had, I had done a lot of things already at a young age where I was like inventing the show and I was like running the shift meeting and uh, helping people open the restaurant. And I was, you know, being the GM of an opening or something like that. You were leading a lot, but you never really had to follow. Yeah. So I was like, let me follow in and let me, let me do the thing. Let me not break free. Yeah. And that was really a, you know, it was a little bit of a test for me, but I got something great out of that. Like it was the structure that maybe someone like me didn't, you know, cause I didn't go to the CIA or a, a formal culinary score. So, you know, I throw down my cutting board and do it the way I want to, but like working in some of these environments where it's like you do this at this part of the day and you punch in this way and you know, you dress this way that did help me kind of see the value of that. Yeah, well, I mean having routine and mm-hmm. that's the big thing with these big corporations it's, it's they focus on the process and everything is habitual and it's routine. Mm-hmm. It's do this, then do this, then do this, then do this. But when you work like that, it might not be as exciting, but everything gets done. Right? The, um, I remember at the Four Seasons, you know, if we ever hired anyone, we always checked references and we yeah. did it very diligently, you know, and it was kind of weird to cold call a, someone else's restaurant and how was, you know, Joe is a server when he worked for you. And I was like, that's weird. I'm, I don't really, I just like to ask word of mouth and, yeah. or you know, my gut tell me yeah, this exactly. Yeah. My gut. I was like, yeah. let me live off my gut. And I would learn so much from those reference calls. Yeah. Like what? What were the questions you were asking? You know, I would just say, you know, I, I one, it would be like, is their resume even honest? Is it true? Yeah. Like, did they work did for they you work for, for you? the nine months <laughs> yeah. in the position that they said they did? Did they actually do these yeah. things that they said they did? I mean, were, were they a torn on? You know, yeah. were they a server? No, that he was a busboy, you know? Oh, great. Well, that we need a busboy so I can bring him in as a busboy. That yeah. sounds wonderful. I was looking at him for something else. Yeah. Well, have you ever had anybody who just straight up lied and they're like, no, we don't know who that person is. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Crazy. Yeah. I can't believe the adaptation. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> that that kind of stuff that a corporation like that does was was interesting for me to learn. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I feel like people, big corporations attract 
those people because they're they are so big that it's more transactional. Whereas in a smaller community restaurant, like you ask around, you know, people, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm wrong in saying that. No, you are right. Yeah, okay. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think this is one of those arguments that's going on now in uh, the restaurant industry related to unions and non-unions and cities and things, yeah. you know, the benefit of in restaurant unions, um, you know, wh- how they would affect this industry, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Four Seasons was really cool for that. And then I, but I wasn't feeling it. I was like, I, I want to stick with something and I'm not, this isn't me. I'm not like, you know, in my, in my best excellent self. And Steven Starr was rising restaurateur in Philadelphia area. He mm-hmm. had, he's a guy that was in the music industry and he had an awesome vibe and he had had maybe two restaurants at the time when I was working at the Four Seasons, you know. He's got like 40 now. Um, He was running an ad and looking for uh, GM for his third restaurant, um, which was going to be called the Blue Angel or Lange Bleu. Um, And I I responded to that. And then I went and I met with him. And it was like, you know, I was like, I, I relate to him. This guy, you know different than me but I I I got him you know I was like the way he thought the creative I was like and he was very um he was very like willing he's like what do you know you know he wanted to hear about ideas he he wanted someone with a voice and that Mm -hmm. was always my thing I'd like to hear people's voice yeah he wanted that from me and it was a kind of a click. He's like, I need someone like you. I left the Four Seasons and I went on to work with Steven. So you went from GM of one location to um, general operations manager for at least three locations. Yeah, I started with Steven right away. I did that opening for Lange Bleu. Yeah. It was big success in Philadelphia. You know, it was a beautiful restaurant. This is your first opening too, isn't it? Yeah, it was actually. Um, no, I I had done an opening for Kimpton Group in Denver actually. Okay. Um, it, it, this was so in Philadelphia though. Yes, um, and the Kimpton Group opening was a little more perfunctory. Stephen was already getting known in the Philadelphia region as very Indian, kind of wild side. You know, he liked to do different creative concepts. So it was a French concept rather than what I had grown up in, which was an you know, authentic French cafe owned by a French lady who's, you know, from the tour. So this was kind of interesting for me. And so like I built it with them and the place, it was awesome. So perfunctory, I had to look it up, (laughs) is carried out with a minimum of effort or reflection. So basically it sounds like because the Kimpton Group had opened so many restaurants at this point, they had their opening system. They had a playbook. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I was definitely ready to, you know, get that done for them. But, you know, when I got together with Steven, I mean, we were inventing. You were writing the book. As you reinventing the wheel yeah. everything and steven star you know he likes to throw everything out the window you know he's like if you're like make these yellow he's like not yellow you know he i thought i was a non-conformist you know he wants to break the rules and you know he's like i'm happy you're getting into this because yeah. you said that before like his style you said i like the style and i was gonna well, elaborate what, what, what was that style <laughs> yeah and you're saying that non-conformist yeah but, like zig when if everyone else is zigging he's zagging yeah you know he he was from the music business. It was his first passion, kind of like you with aviation, yeah. you know? So he's flying around in the music industry and that industry is built differently. It's built on like sometimes the flash in the pan, you know, it's built on a big show and a yeah. big, big response. You know, it's not like, let's go have a stoic dinner in a restaurant. Steven Starr likes to make a, like a makeup 
impact. You know, yeah. you go eat and you go, you're going to remember that you went to Budokan or, you know, Park or, you know, and at the time, the Continental, you know, restaurant he opened called Tangerine. And um, the one, you know, the first one I did with him, the Blue Angel. And then I stuck with him for, you know, for a long time and um, helped him open another really cool restaurant called Pod, um, which is on in West Philly. It was really neat at the time. It was a conveyor belt sushi bar restaurant designed by David Rockwell. Um, I assisted on opening Alma de Cuba, which was a really neat kind of Douglas Rodriguez partnership in Rittenhouse Square. Um, Tangerine, which was a big, really cool Moroccan restaurant that he did. So reflecting back at this time, and I know there was a lot for you going on. Um, mm-hmm. You got a lot, of, a lot of influence from Steve and Star on just the the wow factor, the thinking outside the box, doing things that nobody would ever think of. Uh, what were the big lessons on business? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that is kind of a business lesson there, just having a unique selling proposition and being about the experience. But what else was he teaching you about business that was new to you at this time? Like, how were you evolving and transforming as a professional? So as you know, as a little kid, that's like worried about survival, you know, I, I've always had some restraint, you know, I, I'm like, again, like I made that four seasons decision. I was like, let's be cautious. You know, I was dreaming about a restaurant, right. And I'm always thinking, oh, I could do something, but I wasn't ready or I, I didn't know how, you know, Steven took risks, you know, and I think, you know, it doesn't seem like a lesson, but you have to take risk to jump into business and to make moves in restaurants. You know, every time a chef, like chefs, they're not just creative. When they put some food on the plate, there's some risk involved there. And every server or every bartender who makes a cocktail, you know, even if it's a perfect recipe, I mean, they're executing it. And when I go greet a table, you know, I could be walking into a domestic argument, you know? So it's taking risk and building confidence, you know, and he was very... um, he was one of the he's he still is one of the biggest risk taker. He he has analyzes, he makes decisions and he makes moves. So w- reflecting back at this time, what were some of the biggest risks he took that you got to observe? And what do you know what he is analyzing? Yeah, um you know, again, many of these things are his values and the things that have made him successful, but like his his design and his restaurants, you know. He he chooses to place a big value on design of the restaurant and he did that at a time and still does it now where other people are like hey let my restaurant be a little small byob let my restaurant be kind of you know this cool little rundown shack and i'll be the you know the best little barbecue place you know steven's like let me create a design and bring in incredible designers and things like that because i believe the guest deserves you know the feeling of like beautiful design and quality and i think they'll 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 enjoy that so like that's something that he pays forward for the guest experience that not everyone would and Um, that not everyone's going to be totally receptive of not at all because you might have a vision uh, and you have an idea of how it's going to be received but you don't know until you actually pull the trigger on it how it's going to be received yeah so like you know me like modest me like taking my jobs and kind of trying to like lead a team and you know collect a paycheck and stuff like that you know watching someone take big risks like such as that and kind of you know go big on restaurants rather than small baby steps you know i'm like 
I'm going to make a lemonade stand. It's going to be my first restaurant, you know, yeah. and I'm going to sell lemonade. I, I lean towards that approach, though, <laughs> yes. honestly. Start where you can. I think people in their mind, they think, oh, I want to be a restaurateur. Yeah. I want to open this restaurant. And they have the Steven Star vision of the restaurant that they want. Yeah. But they don't realize that Steven Star didn't start there. Yeah. You know, he started where he could with Absolutely. his one restaurant. And then yeah. he earned that right to get creative. Yeah. Right. So you got to take time to get there. It does not happen overnight. I definitely, yeah, it does take time, but like we can, we can uh, hold ourselves back too. Um, you know, if you just, that space where you feel strong enough to kind of go forward and take a little yeah. bit of bigger risk. And he is someone that pushed on the side of like, go, like if you feel it and you have a tableau in your head and you have something to present, then do it. Cause Time is, there's not all the time in the world, you know, and the public is there and they're ready to receive and, but that doesn't last forever. Yep. So if you're feeling it, that's when you have your energy to do it. So, yeah. you know, I watched him with incredible amount of energy, push out incredible restaurants and, you know, watching that over and over again, it kind of, it impacted me and it kind of blended with this little cautious baby step Amy you know, working with this guy that was, that was going hard. I was like, Oh, let me, let me step a little faster. You know, and so it gave you, me some confidence. You didn't spend a lot of time with Steven Starr, only two years. Cause 99 is when you got back to the States. 2001 is when you left mm -hmm. and you had a four year stint with your, your first business, yeah. uh, which we're going to get into. But I mean, reflecting again, reflecting back at this time, looking at how Steven Starr first made an impression on you, any other lessons, specific granular lessons on operations, culture, business in general, any one of those verticals that came out of this time before you opened your first restaurant on your own? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, it seems obvious, but, you know, the the piece of information that's really important is like it's restaurants – are no, they seem, may seem easy because we all eat, you know, and we all did have the lemonade stand and mm -hmm. we all can imagine how to like make the lemonade <laughs> and do it and stuff. And it looks fun and social and that sort of thing. But the product has to be sick. It has to be awesome. So like the lemonade can't be watery, <laughs> yeah. you know? And I mean, Stephen, I would say that, you know, he never stepped back from the quality of the product. And he and I, you know, there, there's a thread that we didn't cover yet, but my life has, I have been in a lot of, um, kind of farm and rural environments where I was raised and I've West grown Chester, around. Right? Yeah. I've grown around, grown up around just like gorgeous, beautiful food. And then Boulder car. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was like in farmer's markets. And so, so ingredient for me really meant something. It was seasonal, you know, Stephen ingredient, you know, meant to him like the best snails. If we were going to open a French restaurant, he came from the perspective of like, if I'm going to serve, you know, a goat cheese salad, let's study the best goat cheese, you know? So he, even though you think business, 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 and what's the business lesson? His business lesson is really like the product, the quality of the product has to be incredible. Yeah. So you find the product and reverse engineer yeah. from there, yeah. I guess. So like yeah. you, so I mean, but by doing that, I think there's, I mean, what, I'll get, I'll let you answer the question. Like what is, what is the benefit of working like that? The, um, the kind of like finding something that's the best of what it is. And then building a dish around it. So there's like a there's a level of security I think in in that um, you know that you have you're you're putting the best components together. Mm -hmm. So and to some degree you know we were an interesting pair you know because 
in Stephen's world, you know, he would like to have the the best, most beautiful lighting, which, yeah, probably would be the most expensive. Mm -hmm. In the ingredient, it didn't always have to be the most expensive, but we'd have to like take a focus group to study like what ham is really the most balanced that we wanted to use or what butter is really making the best scone. Mm -hmm. So like taking an effort to utilize, you know, the time to do that was something that in the end made the business function really well because we made good decisions out of the in the beginning. Yeah. Another really a signature thing from Steven Starr is utilizing a focus group to make decisions. Ooh, get into that. So the and I do it. I mean, I use this every day. But and I mean, the focus group. By the way, now in the age of social media and Yelp and reviews and stuff, they that is part of the focus group. But like back then. And still today in star restaurants, you know, the focus group of like, if this is a good pizza slice, or if this is a good tomato salad, or if this is a good margarita, is not a decision he would ever make alone. I mean, he's got a gut instinct, and he's seen so much that he he could be the winner of all those conversations. Yeah. But he would, he absolutely needs to study it with 20 people. What's the benefit in that? It's the voice. You know, every time you do that, it's kind of like the reference call. You know, you learn something from it. And all of a sudden, you know, I sit down and I eat a slice of pizza and I'm like, you know what I love about this pizza? It's not garlicky. Yeah. And I don't have that garlicky aftertaste. And I, because of that, it tastes very fresh. And he's like, there's no garlic in it? I didn't notice that. That's interesting. It's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, I mean, he's super knowledgeable about pizza and so am I. But it just like, the, the, there's food is just, it hits everyone's palate so differently. It's a chemistry thing. It's kind of like thing. a focus group, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you just, it is a focus yeah. group. That's what you said. <laughs> no, it's a, it's absolutely. A, it's a get, you're getting immediate feedback from 20 different perspectives. Yeah. And who knows what you're, lever- what you're opening yourself up to. And, but so, so often we don't even open the doors. We just kind of keep those doors shut. We don't even offer, offer ourselves the opportunity to get all this perspective. And I like to say like every mind is like a battery, mm-hmm. right? That, that mind alone only has so much potential energy. Mm-hmm. But if you connect all those brains together in a focus group, you instantly get the power of 20 brains. It's a really good way to put it. And now thinking about it like yeah. that, I mean, it does, it proves that it's so much, it's very powerful. Yeah. And you know, what is perceived as quality in the restaurant business is very unique. You know, there's quality based on reputation, like there's quality based on the premium something costs, you know, like this Chardonnay is so amazing because it's made by this fancy guy that only makes four bottles, you know, or you're like, this Chardonnay is so great because it's, they make thousands of bottles of it and it's from the oldest you know, winery. So like all of these things come into play and that affects how you perceive it. Yeah. It's really cool when you taste a a wine or a piece of food or you decide if this sofa feels rigid or comfy with a bunch of people because the, the coolest thing comes out of it is like the one where you're like, everybody's like, Oh, yeah. This margarita is delicious. That's and it's one. fun when you all like you come up with like something you're like, it's that good, right? Yeah. And feels great. And it's awesome when you detect a bomb, <laughs> you know, and you're like, this thing is bombing. No one likes this lighting. No one likes this color red, you know, and it's not working. I mean, think about how much you just saved. Yeah. You know, so like from there on out, you know, I, we don't, in my restaurants from that lesson, like we don't serve experiments. We don't serve like 
ideas. You know, I'm it's already gone through the ringer before oh, it makes the play. Absolutely. Yeah. Like the the guests, you know, they are, you know, maybe it should be my mantra. <laughs> but like I say to the staff all the time, I'm like, guys, the guests are so much smarter than us. They are smarter than all of you. They are better chefs, they're better bartenders, they have their home bar, they can their palates, they own their palates. Right. And they own their comfort level. Mm -hmm. So they own how they feel about the tableside mannerisms you choose to relay. You know, so I was like, they are in charge. So, you know, the the guests know it also like the feedback is everything to us. I love it. It's not us creating a dish and being like, let's see how it goes in a kitchen between five chefs. It doesn't matter until it hits the field. Yeah. There's, you know? there's two more things I just want to compound on what you shared with us. The first one is when you get together and you start having this dialogue around these menu items, you're also developing the story behind the menu item, right? Because you yeah. have all this dialogue and then you can develop a story and it just helps you sell the thing so much better when you have all these minds come together and you can talk about how you came, how this how this plate came to be and it, start, it just develops its own persona, right? And then yeah. there's a storyline that you get to tie to that menu item, uh, the details of researching every different butter for a scone, right? And being like, we ended up, oh, this scone has this butter and we chose that butter because this farmer chose to do. And then that just, all that stuff, when you really put energy into the product, you can, there's a story that comes along with it and that that helps sell something so much better, right? And, and yeah. then the other thing is when the, the focus group, the idea, they say artists really get into this, this place of flow when they're working together and collaborating on a piece, right? It's kind of like that. But you, when we can work with a group and somebody offers some feed in and then somebody else has some feed in, th- that collaboration, there's camaraderie forms around that. I think this is good for culture. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, you know, like that, I mean, to some degree, like you say unstoppable, you know, I mean, that's like the hallmark of unstoppable. You know, I, I talk about it every service, you know, the opposite of that is when someone says they're having an off night. Like when you have an off night, it's like a comedy of errors. Yeah. You're just like, my timing is bad. Everything's not coming together tonight. But like when you are unstoppable and it's all coming together, Flow. that's the yeah. thing, you yeah. know? And like every table you wait on, it's like, that's perfect timing. And the food came out and they're happy. And you're like, you, it's the je ne sais quoi. All of a sudden, you smile, and they receive you better, and they've had a good time, and they forget they're in a restaurant, mm-hmm. and all the, it all lives, yeah. you know, when the flow is occurring. When it's like the off night, it's like, can I have my check, please? I've been waiting for some water, you uh. know, or like, is my food coming? You know, all these basic banal things that happen in restaurants, they, they can happen, you know, so that, that thing when everybody's kind of working together – but if there's the story, if people have their voice in the story, they see the big picture because like, I'm like, wear a lot of hats, learn a lot of things. They can participate in the solution better, you know, because maybe they know, they notice that these people are, their tickets moving slowly, mm-hmm. or maybe the server knows that's too much food and they're going to, you know, be really happy with the lobster instead of the duck. Yeah. You know, it works. Yeah. I, I'm loving this conversation. I think we need to take our first break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to start to unpackage your first solo. Well, not solo. You had a partner, a life partner at the time. Yeah. But we'll get into that. We'll be right back after thanking our sponsors. Who wants to be more efficient and cleaner? Everyone. So streamline your clean faster than ever before with Ecolab Sink and Surface Cleaner Sanitizer. Ecolab's 
two-in-one sinking surface cleaner sanitizer is one product that can both clean and sanitize food contact surfaces in front of house, back of house, and the third sink. Like other EPA-registered food contact surface sanitizers, it helps protect against foodborne illness and also kills SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19 in 15 seconds, and norovirus, the flu, and common cold viruses in 30 seconds, helping you reduce risk, simplify your procedures, and help protect your team, your guests, and your reputation with Ecolab Sink and Surface Cleaner Sanitizer. Visit Ecolab.com slash unstoppable or talk to your Ecolab representative. All right, we are back, and the year now in our story is 2001. You're uh, a much more seasoned 24-year-old, 24, 25, I'm guessing around that that time. Mm, yeah, You're breaking out to, to open yeah. your first restaurant. Yeah, a little uh, older, I think. Der- uh, sorry. We I, lost I just- some time there, but yeah. Django is your yeah. first solo, well, not solo, but you opened this with your business partner and life yeah. partner at the time, your yeah. husband, uh, Brian. Take us mm-hmm. to that point. Um, first, why did you leave Star? What was going on? I had, um, I'd opened that cool restaurant with him, Pod, that I was telling you about with the sushi and that sort of thing. I was vibing on Philly. I loved Philly. It was, Philly is known for the little neighborhoods and kind of small businesses. And there's a unique thing in Philadelphia um, that, you know, liquor licenses are not cheap. So BYOB is kind of a popular. I was really interested and in, in, it seems like this, it, you did it once back in 2001 with, with Django and you're mm-hmm. doing, you did it again with your second restaurant yeah. to Lula's table. So, you know, a little space, a, a way that a person might start their own place would be to rent a little space yep. and not purchase an expensive liquor license, you know, and allow wine connoisseurs and people that love beverage to bring their own stuff. Yeah. And so I started to look around, you know, I was, I was loving working with Steven, but I started to be, maybe I was like getting a little confident, you know, and I wanted to do my own thing. And, um, you know, I started to look around and I was just pushing and it happened for me really, I'd say with the space, I found a cool space on South street, which is a great little hippie neighborhood of Philadelphia. And it just kind of fell together. The landlord and I clicked when I went and saw the space and I had always been keeping my little folder of ideas and um, the, the restaurant Django was something I created. It was kind of a idea of like food without boundaries. It was named after Django Reinhardt as a, a gypsy jazz guitarist. I loved his music and I used to play it when I would cook around the house. So I was like, this is my little idea. I ran it by Steven, actually. Um, he really believed in it. And he was like, you know... And this is another piece of business advice. Um, he was like, yeah, if you do that, you're going to make no money. <laughs> so let's get into why, why I was going to make no money. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, if you, I mean, that would be great, but you're not going to make any money. Um, you know, first off, there's the investment. You know, you got to, you have to pay some, like in this case, I'm finding the lowest investment thing to do, right? I'm going to rent a little place yep. it's gonna have 40 seats no liquor license I don't, have to, I don't have to buy any wine inventory yeah and then we're gonna cook food so like by the time we get tables and chairs and some art which i love we probably didn't even need to do you know we're decorated and we have a restaurant and we've got the chairs and the people can come and uh, we get some kitchen equipment so you know 
I took a fifty thousand dollar SBA. I was going to ask how much do you did, yeah. did you project you were going to need and how much did it take? Yeah, and I think maybe like another ten on various credit cards. And you're saving. You're a saver. Yep. Yeah. And I had, yeah, I had some money. I was totally no problem putting on like four months security deposit yeah. or whatever was required there. And, and then I was like, I have an idea because I didn't blow a bunch of money. Like I watched Steven used to do yeah. on fancy, you know, things. Design, yeah. yeah. I'm going to have nice wine glasses because I care about food. Like that's my jam. So I'm going to have like the nicest wine glasses and I'm going to have pretty dinner plates and I'm going to have vintage spoons and some things because it's going to be all about what's on the tabletop because that's really where I started. Like, that's what I was loving. I love the experience. Yeah. I was less inclined and I love the people that like populate the restaurants, the staff and the guests. I was less, you know, he always, when I was working with him, he was like the build, you know, and the design and a lot of that aspect. For me, I was like, the magic happens at the table. Subtle, the yeah. subtleties of the things where, where he's trying to shock and awe. Yeah. You're like slipping in little discreet, yeah. wow. And that's where my place was. I was, again, like I was the person who like folded the napkins and swept the floors and kept it tight, you know? So I was like, it's going to be the tabletop. So I would focus on all these little things. And um, we had about 40 seats and it was going to be... And again, all these little influences, my restaurant in Boulder that I worked for, Q's at the Boulderado, um, we used to religiously change the menu monthly there. And I thought it was really fun and I missed it. It was one of my favorite things because it kept the staff motivated. When we flipped the menu, I was like, all right, new menu. Let's yeah. Everybody has to learn new stuff. So change, like embedding change into the culture of the restaurant was important to me. And seasonality was important because I was like, the way I grew up, you know, you eat peaches in peach season, yeah. you know, and you eat potatoes in the winter. Yep. So those were the things that I knew. They were like the things me, Amy, I owned, you know? So I was like, I can do that. So then on my little place, my tabletop, it was going to start really small. We're going to open the doors. And uh, we did. And it was like the most authentic dining experience, you know? And it was like a couple at the time, you know, doing everything and... I would make each little cheese course and I would come tell the table about it and tell them about my journey to France, tell them about, you know, our passion for where the, you know, squid came from and why we enjoyed learning this recipe or, you know, and I was proud of what I'd learned. I wasn't hiding anything. I wasn't like, you know, I was like, I worked for the Four Seasons for a little bit and we used to do this lovely lobster dish and I wanted to do my take on it. Yeah. Like this, I announced this, it. Yeah, this goes back to what I was saying earlier. Yeah. When you travel and you get to do all these things, yeah. you get to pull from all those experiences yeah. and it makes the delivery of whatever it is you're doing much more authentic because there's a reason behind it. Yeah. Because you, you got that experience. Like you were very, you know, like, and I think there's, there's just something you can, there's just something about being able to say like, oh, this is influenced by this experience or that and it was all authentic. It was all real. It wasn't some fluff piece that you're putting together. Like this was your passion coming out. Yeah. I mean, and I didn't know, I mean, I didn't know better to, to not tell people, you know, I was like, this is my mom's, you know, cool ranger cookie that she makes. And we, you know, make it and serve it with our cheesecake, you know? And I was like, yeah. And it was just the truth, you know? And I was like, and they're like, where did you get the corn? And I didn't hide. I was like, we're, we're getting it from this incredible farm. And he comes to the Tuesday market and he's there from three to seven. Yeah. So I was like, and you can go buy the same corn. Yeah. You know, we just have the room for you to come eat it in the restaurant. Yeah. So, um, that place was going crazy. It so was awesome. I got to tap the brakes. Cause you mentioned that the, the lesson was you're not going to learn, you're not going to make any money. 
Yeah. So <laughs> right, right. So back to that. <laughs> what is it about this restaurant that wasn't profitable? The um, so well, it, only Stephen said it wasn't going to be profitable. Okay. <laughs> we're we're going to learn yet if it's profitable. The um, so is it a volume thing where you yeah. you don't have the alcohol sales, you don't have the margins? Yeah. Uh, that's the first thing I picked up on. Uh, mm-hmm. You're doing everything locally sourced, so it's going to be a more on the expensive side. Yeah. So, I mean, this is more of a passion project, but I, th- I think at the same time, you're 24 years old. How old, how old is your, your husband at this well, time? Well, we, I think it was a little older. I think I lost some years there when, when you were like, you worked for Steven for two. I was, things were a little bit longer. Mid-20s. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, yeah. I feel like if there's a time to go out and hustle yeah. and just make a splash. Yeah. And it's, you know, to, to develop reputation and to, look maybe develop a name for yourself you can get investors right yeah. i don't know it's like you don't need to be profitable when you have no liability it's true yeah. i mean i had no i had no bills you yeah. know i had no bills really and i think the no money you know compares to a person you know that's talking that's starting to have you know you start to have more responsibility and debt and you take more risk, mm-hmm. you know? So if I was making $50,000 a year at Django, you know, that was fine. I yeah. was fine. You know, that was good. Yeah. Um, that was like, you know, back then even just serving and bartending, that's what I would have been making. And I'm like, I'm doing my own thing and I'm building an asset yeah. and I'm making 50 grand. Yeah. So that was fine. Yeah. Um, but I can see how someone would be like, you're not going to make any money. And this would be the reason why is because if in your, Restaurant, maybe in your third, fourth year, you're killing it, and you're you're kind of growing that in sixty thousand, something like that. And the restaurants, maybe you know, you're paying yourself. So usually, you're paying yourself to probably barely break break, break even. You know, restaurants yeah. not making yeah. money. Well, then it's like what. And this is something I'll tell people about opening your own business. You have to really prepare that for your resume and for your life, because prepare what you have to. It's a little bit hard, I think, to. Do your own thing and then go back into the work world. Why? Well, if you do it for a while, you know, you spend time. So, you know, again, Django for me, maybe six years, you know. I have 2001 and 2005. Yeah, maybe a little longer. Yeah. But I think we sold it in maybe 2006. Okay. Um, But it's kind of hard to jump back in. You know, it's like when, and you see it. I do it to people when I hire them right now. Oh, for six years you were, did your own recording studio? Are you sure you're ready now to come just work as a server and get scheduled every night, you know, and, you know, work every holiday and that sort of thing. So sometimes it's hard to dip back in. So, you know, I would say that when you're ready and you, you better make sure that you're ready because you want to be successful because presumably you want to do it for a while. Yeah, You don't want to go back. And then the other thing is when you do do that thing on your own, that's your reputation on the line. So like, here's me, Amy, many years later, and I'm waiting. I will serve people tonight, many of them, that I waited on at Django and that were my first customers at Django. And there's no, they don't go, nothing goes away. No mistake that you made one time and you messed up their reservation. No Nothing, you know, if they called you for a favor and they wanted to know what, if I didn't mind giving them the recipe for something, you can just not, not call them back. Yeah. These, everything comes back. So like your commitment, when you jump into business, your commitment has to be 24 seven because if the window breaks in the middle of the night, you know, or nine 11 comes or 2008 comes, you know, you are there and you have to cope with that. Or 2020. Yeah. Because. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And potentially, you know, again, at Django, we only had a few employees, but potentially you have a following, you have guests, you have 
staff. People depend on you. The neighborhood got used to you. You know, the city put you in their guidebook. You know, somebody's writing an article on you. So there's no, you can't disappear. You can't fall off the face of the earth. So at that moment, you know, aside from all of my other jobs, like, I'm in, you know, and that was then something that was very relatable, again, about me, but something that the city learned to count on. Like Amy Alexi is, she's there. Yeah. She's in the city and doing it, you know? So reflecting back at this first restaurant that was solely yours, mm-hmm. um, any, with the experience you've garnered now, almost at this point, 20 years later, anything that you would have done different or any hard lessons learned that kind of set you up for success going forward? Um, the harder lessons I think are, you know, when, when you're having a tough time, I think whether it's with a staff or maybe a policy or something you've created and it's not working. And I think Steven was impactful in teaching me this as well. Um, you gotta, you have to cut, you have to make moves. You got to make decisions. Yeah. Don't, and, do it. Yeah, don't let it carry on. Yeah. And, you know, when you sense something isn't right in your gut reaction to things, in maybe it, I don't know any other industry because I honestly have never done anything else in yeah. this business. But um, you have to respond to it quickly because. Uh, 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 what is the, the saying? Like a good decision right now is better than the best decision 20 minutes from now or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I have experienced that many times, you know, because like the sign of something just in the restaurant business, especially as you get higher, higher volume, you know, if, if, if something is salty, right, it's salty, like all night, you Mm -hmm. have to fix it then and Mm -hmm. there and you should have preempted it. But like, it's also, you know, there are things like theft in this business. There are things like a bad, a bad hire, a person that maybe is not being appropriate to other staff members. I mean, there's things and you'd like, you need to make moves on those things. And Making ethical, scrupulous decisions in the moment is one of the most challenging things for like a young business owner that has Constantly no playbook, yourself. Yeah. right? Yeah. Nobody, nobody from the state of wherever says, here's how you handle an employee that's bullying another employee, or here's how you handle workplace theft, mm-hmm. you know, or a, you know, a, a, a solicitor, you know, yelling at you for serving foie gras banging on your window and smashing it you know like these things occur they've happened to me they've occurred you know and it's like what do you do you know and no one's going to tell you about if you do so well and you become you're on the cover of the new york times right you're on the cover of gourmet how to handle that and how to handle the phone calls and you know this is small time though compared to probably what musicians and people in other industries face but there's no playbook probably for them either. So like those are the hard lessons, but the thing that you have to learn is like how to be scrupulous at all times and to make good decisions and to be like, you know, how to calculate a good decision. You know, no one, there is no, there's no, nobody gives you, you know, the process for that. So you have to prepare yourself to be able to cope with, you know, like creating a method you know, to do that kind of stuff. So when you say scrupulous, I, I'm, I've heard the word, give me some, some, uh, synonyms. What, what do you mean by be scrupulous? I know um, you said make a decision quickly. Like don't, don't ethical, your- you know, just ethical and, yeah. you know, very balanced and, um, you know, making sure to, um, be fair and to be, 
you know, fair uh, and got the loyal, definition here. diligent, thorough, yeah. and extremely attentive to yeah. details. Yeah, totally. So, so yeah, so just, you, I mean, you don't want to. So I'm, I'm. So it's weird. So you say. You want to make decisions. You want to be quick with your decisions. You don't want to wait. If you mm-hmm. have a gut feeling, lean, like, go with your gut feeling. Don't let bad people yeah. hang around. Yeah. Uh, so I get. So yeah, just just really being extremely attentive to the details. Yeah. And not hesitating. Yeah, and you know, you there's a lot of responsibility inside of this this I want to be in business thing. You yeah. know, I mean, you have to kind of be prepared for the day where you know something goes yeah. wrong, and how how do you do it? So your husband was your first business partner, mm-hmm. uh, and you guys did you open the Toulouse Stable together? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're no longer together anymore. Correct. So I was curious was uh, the the reason for selling Django. Was that related to the marriage business? Was there like something going on there? Well, I mean, maybe looking back, it was not at the time. I mean, we had been in Philly for a while, and um, you know, the idea was at that point maybe a, maybe there was a little burnout on the city more. You know, just in general, um, which seems odd now that I'm back in the city and yeah. craziness and stuff. But you know, it's hard to imagine. You know, as you age and you go through years in your life. Um, you know, you, you do different things. You reinvent yourself. So at some at some ages, you know, I talk to some people that I mentor and they're like, you know, you can do this for a while and do that. I was like, yeah, you know, after five, six years in Django, like I was ready. I was smack in the center of the city and I was ready to move out yeah. of the city. Yeah. I was also at that point becoming my, – my focus on food was becoming very deep. I, what we were doing in the restaurant was very food based, you know, the things of design and status and things, they were not nowhere in my life. It was about the the experience, the plate, the cheese, the, the service, the food, the dishes, you know, what was good to serve. And so I was really into seasonal cooking, farmer's market ingredients. And I was spending a lot of time learning my product Mm -hmm. and doing that. So when I moved out to Kenneth Square, I was very not only familiar with the area from growing up in that region, but I was had an idea that I wanted. It was cool because I was going to be in the, you know, in the mushroom capital of the world. And it's a very agriculture area, agricultural area. It's near Lancaster County, which is uh, Amish Mennonite farms. Um, so for me, I was dialing in my interest. Remember, you know, I was like Jack of all trades, Jane of all trades, but now I'm tuning in exactly my passion and my passion is leaning to the guest experience for sure. in the overall business, but it was a small business and it was about the food and the service and the cheese and product. And I was really dialing that in. So then I was kind of like the idea of maybe doing a business in the country was kind of on my mind and maybe just some of my smarts about business. You know, we decided to sell Django. We didn't own the building. We just rented it, but we did sell the business to an operator, two guys at the time that were partners um, that wanted to operate a similar business and they were stoked to kind of come up with a similar business. They named it, they kept the name and everything, but they they bought the business as a package, the concept and everything. But I think they changed the name, and um, they did well, and they they had the space yeah. all set up for them. But we sold the the success and the goodwill of the business, and we made a little money on it. Yeah, that's what I'm so so much for Stephen Starr yeah. saying you weren't going to make any money yeah. on this thing, huh? But that that seeded your next project, which yeah. was a little more intentional. And it sounds like what you're 
you were trying to get closer to the food, it sounds like. Yeah. So you were taking the food into the city, but you wanted to be... You want the food to be in, in your backyard. Yeah, I was really, I mean, and our clout with Django and stuff, the, the quality of the food was high, you know, yeah. and I was like, I was, and I was very proud of that. And I wanted to make sure that I stayed very close because again, the quality of the ingredient being close to the source and it doesn't yeah. mean premium. I mean, you know, we build dishes on lettuce, you know, yeah. um, it meant just the quality in general. So back to selling this business, any lessons learned about selling a business, having an exit strategy that you learned the hard way? Yes. Um, this is interesting. Um, and I think this might work for small business and, and big business too. But I think as the business owner, I think you are selling your business. So you, I think about this when you're making your business, you know, I don't know that anyone knows. It's kind of just like getting divorced. I mean, when you get married, you never thought you're getting divorced. Yeah, it's you know? so Until like death to us part. Yeah. So, but to be honest, if you are a little bit more realistic, it's not uncommon that people get divorced. Yeah. So like being prepared in general is not a bad idea and it's not a it's not a bad thing to yeah. do. It's not problematic. It's pragmatic and practical. And I, I'm a practical person. And that, that was something that like I'm was, you know, to some degree aware of. And in business, when I made the business, um, I, I wasn't fully unprepared to potentially sell it. You know, I kind of thought that somebody else could enjoy doing this. And so when it was at its most successful point, it seemed to be a good point to sell it. Yeah. I mean, you know? that's where it's most valuable. Yeah. So what about, are you selling just the concept or are you also selling the systems and the procedures and the, 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 uh, are those things you have to think? Yes. So get into that when you're selling like you, yeah. so, I mean, the business is dependent on you. If you don't have all those things, so yeah. if you leave, then you're not really selling a business. Yeah. Like, so you do need, and that is what I would prepare for. And that's what I suggest, but people prepare for. So like documentation, right? You know, a lot of people make food and they don't make a recipe, right? Mm -hmm. They make uh, reservations and people come and eat, but there's no reservation strategy. Mm -hmm. So like I used to, I used to always love, I still do those like black and white composition books. You know, those things are kind of like hard. They're like the little kind of like. Are they like the almost like a cow pattern? Yeah, like, totally. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So those books, I would write Journals, everything. Right? Yeah. yeah. So like, and I would name the composition book, like the reservation booking for like 2015. Yeah. You know, and in them, I would like document everything that we did and how we did it and like what area codes people were coming from. I kept a mailing list on the rest of it, you know. So we had ultimately when we were selling that business, you know, we not only had the structure like here's the credit card machine and the processor that we use and the phone number Checklists. and the brand and the staff, you yeah. know, and here's the staff plan and how it's organized, you know, and here's how many people we hire that takes to run a night. And, you know, here's some of the holiday menus that we did. And here's some of the recipes for the most classic dishes that, you know, here's how we construct our cheese course. Yeah. So like I had composition books for like all of these strategies. However, it seems like very arts and crafts that really is the way restaurants function, you know? So if somebody needed to like research something, I usually had it documented. Those in are some usually way. found in Google docs now. Like yeah, in totally. Age, that's a Google <laughs> file, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but at the same time, it sounds like you're not just handing him all these books, but you're also handing him the list of relationships. Cause it sounds like reservations. You probably have phone numbers. You probably had emails. Yeah. So you're selling him 
or these gentlemen, yeah. the, the clients too. Yeah. I mean, and what they call it when you sell, you know, is really the goodwill. Yeah. So you're like a restaurant or a business is valued and like, what is the goodwill yeah. of the restaurant? And there's a value on that. I also, in this case, sold the, I think it might've been for like six months or something, but I was like, I will work here. You know, I'll so come and make like sure onboarding. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, basically. That's what was going on between 2006 and 2007, basically. Yeah. So you knew that you were selling this to, to move out of the city to open a new restaurant, right? No, I mean, I didn't know then, but I mean, I was like, what am I going to do? You know, um, you know, but I, I was going to fish around for a location. Yeah. So I can't believe we haven't even gotten up to like current time now. So you're, you're the, the one <laughs> I restaurant. I can fast forward. So 2007 is where yeah. we are now. Yeah. Uh, that's when you opened Tallulah's Table. Yep. And this is the first of the restaurants that kind of spun the Tallulah's brand. Yeah. Right. Um, so take us to that point. Like okay. you're out of the city. I'm out of the What's city. What's going on? I'm chilling in this little town, Kennett Square. And um, I didn't mention her at all yet, but I've now have my baby daughter, Annalie Tallulah Ray. Yeah, I love um, that. Name. Yeah, and um, I I'm walking in this town. I'm starting to look for businesses because I'm she's a couple months old, and I'm like, my mom can watch her. I gotta work because Amy works. You know, yeah. I work, um, and I I gotta survive. And um, I walk into this really cute little storefront that's for rent in a town that's kind of like behind the times. You know, there's like a barber shop. But I was started to see construction going on and neighborhoods building in this area. Yep. And I decide that my idea that I'd been like keeping notes on for my next business would be a little bit less based on dinner service only because I'm now a mom and I can't like close yeah. restaurants yeah. And, at two in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how am I going to sustain in this business? So I work on a concept for a hybrid, a hybrid business that's a gourmet market that's everything that I love about food. Because that's where I had come now. I had been to France and I've been everywhere and I worked as a bartender and I worked as a chef. So I was like, now I want to do it. I'm going to show people every little thing about food. I'm going to have good coffee. I'm going to have good baguettes. I'm going to have cheese. I'm going to have gourmet products from all over the Amish area. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make pickles. So you're like a curator of all the things you love. And I mean, and I'm not even making them all. I'm like interested in the story showing other people i think and that's a big thing too is it's not a, one of the big lessons i learned that is that success in this industry isn't about you yeah i mean for me really i was a hype girl yeah. you know what i mean like and i did it for steven i did it for a, a companies i work for but i'm hyping like food that yeah. i believe in yeah. fortunately i believed in all of the products yeah so like i'm gonna you're have not this. selling when you believe yeah you're you're sharing yeah. You know, when you believe you don't have to sell and you oh, don't have to, yeah. con- cause you're, sh- it's just, there's just a level of, of, I don't know of comprehension that's going on when, when you're, when you are selling something, you're, you're putting, you're putting on the face, right? Mm-hmm. You're thinking of the list of things that are the benefits of this item. But when you are truly passionate about something and this is your curated list of things that you love, your enthusiasm, your passion does all the selling for you because it's authentic and people know that this, what you're telling me is real and then they can pick it, they can smell that, right? That thing that you just said is like Tallulah's table in a nutshell to the, the things that are there. We use the focus group method, but like if we sell somebody's peanut brittle, you know what I mean? We all eat it and we get a sample and we're like, do we really like it? And we like, did you think about it after you ate it? Do you want to eat it again? And then we sell it. Yeah. And then we tell people that story and it's exactly like that. Like yeah. the people that work at Tallulah's table, the staff are incredible, but they like 
they live out of that place. They believe in it too, just like I do. So it's morning, noon, and night to Lula's table in this little town. It's a gourmet shop, cheese shop, bakery, scone store, coffee shop. And then at night at 7 PM, we close the market and we serve a farm table dinner. One course. Yeah. Oh, it's 10 courses. Oh, sorry, one, one table. One you table. Mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One sitting. Totally. And we serve one seating. Yep. Yeah, and 10 courses. And it's a, essentially a monthly menu that reflects the region and the season. I love that. And that is the study we do when we make that menu. The chef, Michael Williams, who's awesome, we like taste the courses and we eat through them and we're like, season, sense of place, sense of reason. What's the history of this? Does this dish worth? Is it right? And when then we make our menu, does it feel good? And then we launch it. Yeah. And when the guests come for this experience, when they come from all over the country, you know, like, again, there's, it's not experiments. You know what I mean? Yeah. These are things that we've studied and we want to represent. Granted, now it's almost 15 years old. You know, we have a repertoire and we have things that now people ask us for, you know, yeah. but um, we do it. And that place is, you know. It goes on every day, that little magic in that little town. So I feel like you were like one of the, f- I don't know how far back the idea of a tasting menu goes, right? But where it's just like pre-sold, right? Yes. Like almost like a ticket. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, so you were kind of like the first, This I don't know, the origin of the prefix <laughs> menu, uh, like a tasting menu. But this idea, were you selling out? Like, were you, how would you sell tickets? I mean, this is before talk. Right? Are you using talk now? Like, no, how are you doing? we may, we may. We actually, it's it's cool. We use it's a handwritten calendar. It's yeah. so homemade at Tallulah's table. It's so cool. But um, I, I mean, there was yeah, there was like Oakville Grocery. There was a few places in the country that were doing a little bit of cool d- dynamic hybrid things, but not really. It was totally born out of the idea of like, let's cook a fancy dinner at night to make some money, but have the market. But the dinner would only be like not too late because I want to get home, (laughs) you know? Um, so it was word of mouth. The first month it was kind of the weekends. People just came. They were like, sure, this sounds cool. What is this thing? So people from that region came and then immediately in about a month they would come and they're like, when can we come back? And then I was like, well, the menu changes every couple weeks why don't you come for the next menu okay they started to do it have regulars that come in once a month so then they wanted to not miss a menu okay they were then foodies you could bring your own wine remember so this area a lot of people had wine cellars and stuff because we were out of the city so a lot of people would travel for their wine and they'd have it and they wanted somewhere they could do this so then they would call hey i came with my friend last week could i come next month and we'd write them on the calendar and we'd Make sure you got to be here because remember, you're the only table and we live off of this stuff. Yeah. So you got to be here for it. And I would just compel them and make sure like yeah. that. And it just. Did you ever, are you at the point now where worked. like you'd sell in advance? Yeah. Where you just basically like, oh, you want to see six months from now? That's going to be $200 to reserve. <laughs> you know, I don't think it's a bad idea. No, I mean, it isn't. It's, it's you a great know, way to get liquid. It's you know? a, you know, you should do like, we, sh- we should have a focus group on this thing because I have an idea like. Why does the whole world have to revolve around Saturdays? You well, know, it's Saturdays. Supply and demand, you yeah. know? And like that's the whole model of talk. Yeah. Can shift. So basically if you go in to eat on a Friday or a Saturday, that's gonna be Yeah. Three hundred dollars, whatever number, right? Yeah. Because that's where the that's where the demand is. That same exact experience on a Tuesday can be hundred and fifty because Absolutely. Because the demand is down. 
I yeah. think why don't we do things it's like that? It's a really big question for the restaurant industry and, and music and stuff like theater. Like, you know, in theater, tickets are way more expensive on a Saturday night. Yeah. But restaurants, even in a huge place like my Tallulah's Garden, you know, we're booked out for Saturday nights, but we have to sell Monday nights. Yeah. And this you know? is part of what, the, the, what I mean by inspire, empower, and transform the industry because we, I think, are an industry built on tradition mm-hmm. and we just don't think outside the box. You know, it takes a, a dividends like stock whatever um you know nick kokonis is like to, yeah. be, to get an outside perspective like why are you guys doing it like this like yeah why not just add sell it for more on this these days and yeah it just takes that outside perspective sometimes to like just flip the industry and sometimes i think it's good you see right now you have a lot of people coming into this industry with no restaurant experience and they're looking at it like why do you do it like that <laughs> you know that have maybe engineering experience, i like when like people whatever. do that yeah and they just they just challenge yeah. our our perception of what right is and then they kill it because they have a whole new approach. It's a unique selling proposition that nobody ever thought of because it just wasn't traditional. Yeah. My brother's actually an engineer and he often says something to me, you know, he will say something about, you know, um, an idea on something and I'm like we don't think of it like that in the restaurant business so but it's crazy that's where you need the focus group you know because you know if you make this you know if you make the Saturday nights more expensive then you start to earmark your clientele and then you suddenly can't that clientele maybe isn't in a clientele that loves veal cheeks you know what I mean and then so you can't serve off cuts then on Saturday nights because people who pay 300 bucks you know want dry aged ribeye yeah and so then you can't help the farm so, so it's, you know what i mean yeah. so like it's not that easy you know like all of a sudden you you screw up your own mission you know so in, instead you know just say somebody again from who, who doesn't really know it was like well it makes complete sense and you're like yeah but you know when they remember coming to you on saturday night for 300 bucks instead of 100 they might not think it was worth 300 mm-hmm. and they might not come again and again but whenever it was a buck 50 they loved it and they will come and we'll be 15 years old now mm-hmm. if we did that would we be 15 years old mm. you know or again can i serve oxtail you know for the, that? on the flip side the same question is mm-hmm. there might be somebody who loves your experience who um you might be able to bring it down to 100 on a tuesday and bring it more into their budget Yes. Right. So uh-huh. now you're actually opening it up to a broader yeah. range of people. Yeah. Because you can go way low on the on the off nights to pull to pull yeah. people in, and then you can make up for it on the Friday and Saturday where you it's twice as expensive. So yeah. I think it kind of opens, it makes you more approachable to more people too. Right. Yeah. Um. So who knows? It's interesting. I mean, I love thinking about that kind of stuff, and that is like some real business decisions there yeah. because, and again, that's where like scrupulous stuff comes into play because. You know, it's like the sliding scale and stuff, you know, it's, you know, it's day old bakery products and and the fresh bakery products, or it's like, when do you increase the price and what's the number? Like when is the salad worth worth $12 and it was $11? Yeah. How do you decide? So was this business, is this business model profitable? If you're doing one, yeah, um, two tables, Mm -hmm. right? One sitting. 10 courses. Yeah. How do you make that profitable? So if it was just that business, that would be profitable. I think that possibly, um, 
again, because you could you could back do the math on that and make your food costs, and it's very easy to suss that one out. Yeah. To do what we do at Tallulah's Table, which is a labor of love all morning, we sell amazing scones and baked yeah. goods and all these things. Market. And yeah, it's a very, very dynamic business. And it's one thing where it's like, I kind of went in there and I was like, I, I'm, I'm going to do this and see how it goes for me in the end. Yeah. It's definitely my least profitable business yeah. by far. Um, and the reason it's that is not because necessarily of the costs it's the people to do the quality that we do it's a very high end high it's not high end it's high talent high skill high touch and those people are are people that you want them to stay and they've been with me for a long time and they need to have nice lives so like Tallulah's table for me as a lifestyle you know I live it and it's there and it's allowed me to build the brand um but it's and it's allowed me to sustain with Anna Lee and my daughter. We've we've do perfectly fine. But um, she, I don't think she was comfortably going to college just on Tallulah's table. Yeah, you know. And then I mean, somewhere in this whole story is I guess I'm kind of maybe I was just a hustler when I was a kid. But then it turns out that I'm pretty ambitious, you know. And I liked the business. I like business, and I like solving some of these problems. Um, and I was starting to have an eye on Philly and I would do a lot of events. So it was important for me. I started to do some like cooking events and uh, catering jobs and some things to bring in extra money. And I'd keep myself out there. I kept my relationship with Steven. I would do some consulting. Um, he started to hit me up and he was like, if you want, you know, after this respite out in the country, you do a big place in the city, we can do it together. I can alleviate some of the work and the financial piece and you can bring the creative. Mm. So, so this is, this is really where I was getting excited and what I've noticed about some of the most successful restaurants mm-hmm. out there is their ability to collaborate in no lanes and stay in lanes and surround themselves with people who compliment them. Mm-hmm. So there seems to be a, a synergy that's developed with you and, and Steven Starr and you guys compliment each other. And I was curious, what do we need to know about these partnerships? How do we go into these partnerships in a way that protects both parties? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you stay in lanes? How do you communicate lanes? Like, I guess get into the dynamics of this partnership and if we wanted to recreate it ourselves. So I think the partnerships is the future, but I don't think a lot of people know how to enter into partnerships and what makes a good partnership. Yeah. The, I mean, definitely not because you know one form of partnership is marriage you know friendship families and stuff and these are really super challenging things the restaurant industry teaches you about this because working together so intimately with so many people under stress like you kind of you start to adapt to being in a good partnership like you know in a restaurant you're like I'm the server and this person, this young woman is my bus girl, you know, and you're working together to like solve the night. So to some degree, I think, you know, I was always kind of an understanding and good partner because that's what we, teamwork is like what we do in this business. Yeah. Um, generally yeah. in a restaurant, unless it's some crazy teeny thing or right. something. So I was adapted for that. And Steven was too, cause he's in this business. So he, he was used to it. Now, granted he's, you know, He's he's has a lot of um, experience, ton more than me. He's older than me, and he has an incredible background. Um, so I, I was lucky, you know. He came to me and he helped me through a lot of those things. He's like, "Here's a good plan," you know. But again, my gut feeling was good, and I was I was like, 
I show up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that no matter what happens in life, like I always show up, you know? Yeah. And so like there was no, and I think he had seen that with me. Once he watched me do two successful businesses now, you know, Django and Tallulah's Table, he was basically also smart on his side of the partnership that he was like, she has something to offer. And I was like, I, I didn't have any secret thing like, oh, maybe I'll do it for two years and see how it goes if I make some money. I was basically like, if I do this, I got to be there in the middle of the night, you know, when somebody breaks in and I have to be there when there's no chef Mm -hmm. and there's no people to hire. So I was like kind of ready to do that. I was willing to do that because I, again, was your kid older at this point? She's still little, you know, she's in elementary school, but I have my mom who's amazing. She's Mm -hmm. like, you know, every amazing thing in the world you know she's just there for me yeah um so she she's a huge factor in Annalie's life so I was ready I had some support system with her and I wanted to do something and I also was like when you age in this industry you it's it's kind of like being in sports you need to do it because you're not really doing it when you're 70 no and get it done early and then you have to build people around you so you, they can continue to go with your vision once you've, your, your yes. body is kind of like not there and anymore. And those, I mean, it's fun to not think about that, but it does hit you quickly if you don't think about it. So all of a sudden you have kids and you have responsibilities and stuff and you're like, you know, you... Not 25 anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that whole <laughs> yeah. thing where you're like, my body is not a temple. Yeah. You're just like, I'm running, I've been running food all night long yeah. and I'm at every table and it's crazy and it's yeah. 90 degrees out. And, you know, so you have to think about that. And I think the, the group of people that I would most tell to think about that will be, I mean, definitely the GMs and stuff, but it's the chefs. It's like chefs. I mean, being chefs, you guys are, and ladies are incredible. You're like sports figures. But it's larger than life. You know, you're working on a line and you're under stress. And, you know, it takes years off your life, some of them. You got to learn. Eventually, you got to go through that pivot of doing the work and working through people. Yeah. And you got to learn that because, you, like you said, your body will not. Eventually, you're going to have to retire, right? Yeah. I mean, then there's dopamine here in this business. So, like, the work-life balance is hard because you you want that that feeling of success and gratification. So you go back in, you go back in and then rush, you know, you're 33 and you're 36 and all of a sudden you're like, crap, do I have money in the bank? Do I have these things? So we've covered, uh, Tallulah's table, Tallulah's garden, which is your rendition of Tallulah's in the city, but bigger, but bigger. Yeah. And then we, we have, and you do the same thing there where it's market during the day. And then you do, uh, one same thing, one course at night. Same chef? Uh, in Philly? In Philly as in outside the, uh, the no, city? No, different chefs. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, and then in 2017, sorry, yeah, 2017 was your most recent, mm-hmm. which is The Love. Yeah. So uh, we, we, we're, we're at pre- almost present day now. Um, anything that, that has happened over the, the past you know, five years and I guess almost yeah. 10 years since coming to the back to the city, mm-hmm. big lessons. Big that lessons? Are, big lessons. Things you learn the hard way, failures, things you think, lessons you can distill before we start to wrap up. Um, you know, I was still willing to take more risk, so yep. I started to take some risk. We, Stephen and I found a gorgeous location up in Philadelphia in Rittenhouse Square, and I, I didn't want to name another thing Tallulah's because I don't want to confuse guests too much. And uh, a thing I tell all my staff, I'm always like, guys, you know, it's the love. Make sure to touch everything with the love. Make sure to keep focus on the love of what we do in Mm -hmm. our industry. So 
I decided to name a restaurant very risky in the city of Philadelphia and to name, name something the love, you know, yeah. like it sounds like a seven, you know, it is like a 70s song or something, you know, one of my and, calzone concepts is the pockets of love <laughs> <laughs> coming out of the love and oven. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so I was like, it's the love though. I was like, I stand by it. It yeah. is the love. This yeah. is what we do. It's about the love, what we do in this business. And, you know, I still feel it today when I open the love, it's very like at the, tip of my like feeling like this industry is about the love that we put into it. I love that too. It's opening the love. Yeah. When when you, you open the love every day. Yeah. It's, and so that was the mantra that I opened that place with. And it was the, the staff, they live it, they understand it. And it's like a heavy burden to carry, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the things that we do there are just, they really have little touches to them. They are soulful. They are things that aren't challenging. It's very warm. It's very cozy. So Tallulah's garden really embraces the season and the ingredients, the love really embraces like lost recipes and warm cozy food and you know soul uh the soul in the dishes for sure Mm -hmm. um the you know business principles you know with the love i would say it's another step you're bigger and you have to figure out when you're someone like me who i'm like it's being authentic and table side and with the guests are so important to me you have to figure out how to do it. Mm-hmm. And you really, I think I recommend like writing it down. When you schedule stuff and you write things down and you document like I did in those little composition yeah. books, kind of like writing in a diary when you're going through hard times in your life, it gives you something to reflect on and to kind of map out and to remap. Because if you're, you can't run away, you know, and I can never run away from these businesses, you know? So like if I, if I have to kind of figure out how to moderate, I can use some of my documentation to say like, hmm, you know, I scattered all over on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Maybe if I concentrate more time at Tallulah's table, I'll get more impact. You know, so I, so I'd say some of that is important. You know, in restaurants, we're creative, we're hands-on, we're talkative, we're social. Don't forget to try to take some advice from other industries and to be literal and to write. And maybe it's my writing background from when yeah. I was a kid, you know, but the writing down the story of your day in some formal form of journaling can be really helpful in this industry yeah. because I think some people, you may have heard this before, but like it's like dog years, restaurant years, you know, you work with somebody in a restaurant for three years and like you knew them for a decade. You're going through hell every day. Yeah. You work double. Yeah, exactly. So like the journal of working in the restaurant business, you know, today I'm going to talk to a thousand people today and you know, I'm going to hear some crazy stories and they're heavy sometimes, you know, I'm talking, you know, people are going through crazy stuff and I have staff and have real needs, but I got to remember them and follow up. So it allows me to fortify like a memory or a thing to follow up on. Yeah. I mean, are, I mean, do you, are you just old fashioned pen and paper? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use a great tool called Momentum. It's mm-hmm. a it's a Chrome plugin where every time you open a new browser, the, instead of going to like a Google page, yeah, it's your it's Momentum, which is like a, an image in a to do list. Mm-hmm. So it's you're constantly pulling up your to do yeah. list, which is really powerful. I but, think so. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Like that's you know that's like. Just having that list and constantly that. and prioritizing like what's the most important yes. thing you put the most important and urgent things yes. at the top and then you just constantly are reevaluating urgency and importance and you yeah. just and the list never goes away. And I think that's something that people are always like the list never goes away. 
Just accept <laughs> it. That the list never goes away. It's, yeah. it's constant. But that most makes you necessary. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's your purpose. Yeah. I mean, that's your thing. You're you're gonna go touch a couple things that you're gonna have successes with. Yep. You know, and that that is your fulfillment. Yeah, and I, one thing I'm I'm going to make the attempt. I've been good about developing a routine in my mornings and writing is definitely one of those things that I want to start mm. being better about is just taking maybe to start with five minutes every day just to get the most important thoughts down and then maybe add a minute once a month just until you get to the point where you're writing down like an hour a day you're writing, you know? Yeah. And I think that's a huge thing that I do not do, but you, you're, it's almost like you're manifesting it by bringing it back to the surface because it's something I've been saying I want to start doing. And this is my last interview of this road trip. So now <laughs> I have to go back home and start writing. So thank you for reinforcing that. Uh, anything we have not discussed up to this point that you were hoping to discuss to get out that hasn't come out? Interesting. Um, I've never been good at that, you know, like knowing if there's anything that I just like need to put out. I'm so, you know, I live so much in the walls of my restaurants, you know, I just, I am inside them so much that, you know, I hope their value in, in the world is just that experience. You know, I love that. It's amazing to me when the, the experience is at the table. You know, and like this conversation that we have, but we're having it with some wine and some food. Yeah. And we did that. And we didn't even know there was a restaurant going on. Getting ready. Like we for do the, now. <laughs> yeah, the, there's a restaurant. We're, we're getting ready for dinner service. The music is going on. I think they're, they are in the process of turning it down as we speak. You can see there's a little bit of panic going on amongst the staff. Yeah, that's even loud for the guests. <laughs> they're like, oh, my God, what are we yeah. doing? But, all right. I mean, I didn't found the volume. Yeah, I didn't touch really well on on being a good partner, you know, and a good partnership and stuff. I I will. I mean, over the years, I'd say that, you know, young people in the restaurant industry, like the term, like finding a lawyer or having a lawyer, it doesn't seems like scary or something, you know, or like I talk to people about having health care and they're like, oh, I don't have health care. Like these are classic conventions of the world. And I, you know, as soon as you take these steps and you you know, engage a, a lawyer maybe that you or somebody that is a support system for opening a business and you use some of these networks, you learn so much. Don't be afraid to do those things. You know, spend some money to have a conversation to explore an idea or maybe a it could be a real estate developer because you want to look at a piece of real estate. Yeah. You know, but, but I mean, even at the same time, all these relationships that you engage in, whether it be with a lawyer or a realtor yeah. or some of these scary things like they are your partners, too. Yeah. I think it's just relationship management. These yeah, build, are people. Yeah, these are people who are better at things than you are, and it doesn't need to be scary. It's it's a good thing that you're going through, and it's not to. We think lawyer, you th- immediately think negative things, yeah. right? But the truth is, what you're doing is you care about this partner, and you want to make sure you're going into this relationship with both parties being taken care of. Mm-hmm. Meaning, we have communicated everything that we don't even know what to communicate because we're not, this isn't our vertical. Yes. So having a lawyer come as in, they just make you, they force you to have those hard conversations yeah. that when the shit hits the fan, which it inevitably is going to, there's a plan, mm-hmm. you know, so you're not screwed. You're not, you're protecting yourself and you're protecting this person that you're going into business with. So I hope you love them. Right. I hope you want the best thing for them. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Expose yourself, you know, network, expose yourself, jump out there and like get into stuff. Cause I mean, every time I talk to anybody, when they do something like that, they attend a thing or they go to a free thing or they read, you know, like educate, energize yourself to like do do the diligence before you make moves. But like get out there and do it, you know, do the 
you know? So Go we're about it. to get into the speed round. I know you guys are opening in 10 minutes. Um, something I want to start doing with all my guests, I say that the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. How? Give me one way you've transformed or one way you want the industry to transform going into the future. Um, I mean, I, I really believe in the, the, the connection of the, the maker and the restaurants. And so, you know, transforming that insofar as like working directly together. So like paying, paying futures or paying into farms, uh, for the following year, like next year, we're going to pay you in advance for your peaches next year. So we can plan them for our menu or your cheese or, you know, we can kind of pay it forward to some of our producers out there. I think the quality ends up back on the plate for the guests and the relationship is stronger. And it's something to look forward to for the staff to Mm -hmm. plan. So we're we always are working on that. But it's something that like when we plan, it's really fun when it materializes. Yeah. Awesome stuff. One more quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to bust out a speed round. A lot of people are talking about Restaurant 365 and that's probably because they are the only cloud-based all-in-one restaurant management software with restaurant-specific accounting, inventory, scheduling, and payroll plus HR. Restaurant 365 is perfect for the multi-location restaurant business. Their customers have seen 5% decrease in food and beverage costs because they have access to more actionable data. Restaurant 365 is the king of integrations with over 90 integrations with the POS, including hundreds of vendors and thousands of banks. So you have a truly connected system. No more managing out of multiple systems. Lastly, Restaurant 365 empowers your management team with real-time P&L with access to check-level detail, which means no more waiting on your accounting teams for P&Ls weeks later. And it gets even better because with Restaurant 365, you can save time and money. You save time with things like automated invoice management and accounts payable and a slew of other systems for administrative tasks. You save money with powerful labor forecasting so you can see labor trends and make adjustments. And Restaurant 365 allows you to track actual versus theoretical costs to ensure you're not losing any margins due to waste or error. Interested in franchising? Restaurant 365 has tools for that too. Head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you will save 50% off your first month subscription. Again, that's restaurant365.com slash unstoppable. Have you heard of Ovation? So let me tell you about how I heard about Ovation. I was on a search to find answers about SMS best practices and organically like four or five of the experts in my network were like, you got to talk to Zach Oates from Ovation. He is the SMS king. So naturally, I got Zach Oates on the show to talk about SMS marketing in that time between first having him be mentioned or come onto my radar to the time we had him on the show. Tons of people were recommending Ovation. Even restaurantowner.com, one of my past sponsors in a company I have a lot of respect for, did a survey and Ovation was the number one guest feedback platform. So 
naturally, I'm here to learn more. Uh, so we had Ovation on the show. And if you're not familiar with Ovation, Ovation is an omni-channel two-question survey that gets happy guests to leave positive reviews and unhappy guests to chat with either you or a team member to resolve the issue in real time before they leave a bad review online or never come back to your restaurant. With this new channel of communication, you can easily see trends of what is driving positive and negative experiences in your restaurant. Not only does it improve your communication in your relationship with your guests, it also helps you drive revenue. You can drive revenue with third to first party ordering conversion. You can drive revenue with rainy day text message blasts, and you can even drive revenue when getting your guests to automatically download your loyalty app. To learn more, head over to ovationup.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you will be able to claim $2,000 worth of free text messages to help you get started with more feedback, reviews, and revenue. Again, that is www.ovationup.com slash unstoppable. We are back, and the first question I have for you is, what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? What is your biggest strength? My big strength? I'm super energized. I'm like, never tired. Not sitting for a long time. I am not tired. (laughs) Yeah, I I never get bored, you know? I love it. What is your biggest weakness? Um, Weakness, you know, I'm I'm slow to make change. You know, I have to study things Mm. for a minute. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team, when you're doing an interview? What are you looking for? What are you asking? I'm like, do you go the extra mile? You know, are you, are you, are you happy to like do the, do the, you know, help the little old lady cross the street? You know, does that something that feels good for you? What's your biggest challenge today? Today, commuting, parking, urban issues, you know, things like that. How are you dealing with it? Not well. <laughs> <laughs> Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a core value, a way to be. Oh, um, I I have to like smile, be positive, like have a positive spin on things. You know, when you're around a bunch of people, it's just like negative negativity just does nothing. No, not at all. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is something that's common within your businesses to go above and beyond, but not common throughout the industry. Um, we actually, if, you know, if I don't see somebody that looks like they're having an ideal experience, like they're not chowing down, guzzling their Bloody Mary, I have our, we usually approach the guest and say like, is your Bloody Mary too spicy? Yeah. We check and we make sure like we get ahead of it. Yeah. We are not, we just also, I don't want people to spend an hour or two with us and not be stoked, Yeah, you know, and it could be a mistake. They maybe like ordered the wrong thing. We don't mind that. Yep. What is one book that's a must read or um, one, sorry, what is one business book that will make you a better person or restaurant owner? Mm, it's so good. You have to read um, Sanjay Gupta's um, Keeping Sharp. It's like not specifically just about business, but it's about keeping your brain sharp. So, you know, this industry, you have to be sharp. And it's so, so much stuff he shares is so applicable to aging in this industry. And I believe that is on Audible. It is. So if you want, you can get that book on Audible. Uh, head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. Do you listen to audiobooks? Yeah. Is it a game changer? Um, I listen to podcasts. I love them yeah. when I'm driving. Yeah. I'm like a magazine person. So like a great magazine article or podcast is like a perfect 
kind of um, I feel like I'm part of the experience when I do yeah. that. Audible books or audiobooks for me are game changers. I think for a lot of people in this industry, because we just don't get the time to sit yeah, down. I and see that. Yeah. So, I mean, if you are making that excuse that you don't have enough time to read, try audiobooks. It will change your life. Turn your car into a university again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you are supporting the show if you use that link, audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. Thank you in advance. Uh, what is one service you've outsourced or... You know, so this is something like like a lawyer or like a designer or a marketer or whatever. It's a group of people who do something really well that you outsource instead of doing in the house. It seems easy. I think a lot of people think it's not no big deal, but like PR, you know, is a skill. That's why I'm here. Yeah, I mean, being able to have somebody yeah. spend time to make sure that they represent your business in a way, and also in streams that are, you know, they get to know you. So again, like. That's building a relationship. Yep. So for me, like I build a relationship with PR because I want them to know what Tallulah is and the love and Amy Alexi. I want them to know what I'm about. And who's your publicist? Um, Nicole Cashman. So is, is there a PR couple? Cashman? Um, the firm is called Cashman. Is that Cashman Associates? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, okay. Got yeah. It. Yeah. Uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted within your restaurants for better communication, more efficiency, more profitability, anything along those lines? Hmm, a piece of equipment. Equipment, anything, software. Interesting. Um, <laughs> it's interesting, you know, like I have these, you know, wine and liquor driven restaurants, but we just put in these drink machines in the restaurants. Okay. And they are like amazing. Like what are they? The Ferrari of like Frosé machines. Okay. They basically like emulsify like Paco Jets, they emulsify beverages to make beautiful frozen drinks. And that's Paco Jet. Yeah. Well, it's um, the machines are a Taylor. They're a, a frozen drink machine. But um, and Taylor is the producer. Okay. They're made in Pennsylvania. But um, I think. Um, and that's a big trend right now, like kind of pre-made frozen drinks that you can just put on to, to a tap. Right. So it seems like a shortcut. However, the there's a history of frozen drinks. You know what I mean? Like the idea of a frozen daiquiri or frozen margarita is actually something that restaurants took away. They're like, ah, poo poo. Isn't, like, isn't like water ice like a big yeah, thing in Philadelphia? Yeah. It's not a drink, but. Right. No, yeah. it absolutely is. You said it right too, water ice. Uh, yeah, I got some practice. Somebody <laughs> taught me how to do it right. So like, you know, I put them in and it's, it's helped the bartenders. It's kind of a new thing. It's kind of fun. Yeah. That's a neat, I don't know, technology. My places are really low tech. Yeah. We're like, we're. But there's something to be said about that too. Like keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. You know, I think sometimes we, we try to get an edge by taking on all this technology. We just complicate things almost. And then technology doesn't play well or, you know, there's like automation that like overrides something that you thought you did. It can be a, a headache, right? Um, this is the last question. It's mm-hmm. a doozy. Get ready for it. Uh, <laughs> if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the, the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. <laughs> with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind okay. for the good of humanity and for your legacy, what would they be? Oh, my gosh. That's too heavy. you got to take that off your list. One way to think about <laughs> it is if, if you could leave three pieces of, of wisdom behind for your kids, mm-hmm. what would that be? Um. I mean, they're so, you know, you probably hear it all the time, like be kind and those sorts of things. But I mean, I take that one really seriously, you know? Yeah. Um, I love in the restaurants, I think people forget to be generous, you know? We're constantly like giving things away to bring smiles to people. 
Um, and then I'm just like, be curious, you know, I'm constantly like, why do we do that? Are you sure we do that? Are we still doing it that way? Yeah. I like question stuff. So that's how you constantly improve. Yeah. So be kind, be generous, be curious. I love it. Awesome stuff. Nice. Uh, Thank you so much. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. That's how I try to find the majority of my future guests. So who do you respect and admire in this industry? If they were a guest on my show tomorrow, you would tune in to listen. Wow, that's a great opportunity. Um, I mean, it's hard because I'm going to think of people that are like right in my right in my zone. But yeah. man, I mean, I do have an in with them. And if you could sit down with Steven Starr, I would love he it is the shit. Yeah. We were supposed to actually get together on this trip, but something happened with yeah. the schedule and we had, yeah. I wasn't able to reschedule because I, yeah. I was coming here for a specific time. Yeah. Uh, but he is absolutely on my radar. I think that there was a trip back to Philadelphia in you my should, near future. You should do it, yeah. And I would love to connect with Steven <laughs> Starr. And I'll be sure to reach out to you to make sure that happens. Good. Uh, and how can we connect with you? What's the best way to connect if we've loved the story, we're thinking about maybe moving to Philadelphia, we want to come join your team. Yeah, or definitely. Have questions. What's the best way to connect? The um, My Tallulah's Table in Kenneth Square is kind of the mothership of my businesses. So Tallulah's Table is where I spend my mornings and I'm there. So our Instagram for Tallulah's Table, um, which is T-A-L-U-L-A-S, T-A-B-L-E, so Tallulah's Table, is really where I'm kind of always, you know, you see a little bit more of the grid of what we're doing in this brand. All of the restaurants have great Instagrams um, that we use a lot. Um, Obviously, they have websites and things like that. But I'm like a crazy, reachable person. You know, people call and or email me or call the restaurants and say that they can email the restaurants and I like if you want a recipe or somebody you wanna, does answer the phone because I've been yeah, hearing. I was here. If you want an interview, like I, people are amazed, but I like I show up. I love it. I love it. that's one of our core values in Restaurant Unstoppable Network. By the way, show up. Yeah, it, that's half the battle is just showing up. Yeah, really. I just I learned so much by being present in there and like with 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 the thing that I set out to do. Amy, I've loved this conversation. <laughs> Me too. Thank awesome. you so much. There is no yeah. questioning. You are unstoppable. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. I'm feeling it. Yeah. There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you all found value. Uh, Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 813 for a summary of today's discussion as well as any links or tools you're looking for, books recommended, all there in the show notes. Uh, We have a lot going on this week in Restaurant Unstoppable Network, and I'm hoping you can join us for some of these sessions we have Brandon Knopfel joining us. He was episode 812, went live last week. He's joining us live for Q&A today at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So if you're catching this episode early and you want to come hang out in the network, be sure you... You know, shoot me an email, Eric at restaurantstoppable.com. I'll get you a link for a 30 day trial if you want to trial the network and you don't want to miss this conversation. We have another pure mentoring session right off the heels of that one. Amy Mills is live Tuesday at 2 p.m. Uh, and Amy is the owner of 17th Street Barbecue. Uh, she joined forces with her father back in 2000. And when she came on board, she used her marketing and PR skills to really scale the brand. They're also doing consulting, getting really creative with their brand, uh, with books. And I think she's just a master of a multi-channel revenue. So if you're interested in diversifying your brand and using your brand as leverage to do other things, whether it's consulting or creating books or assets, that's one you don't want to miss. Um, she's joining us again, 2 PM Tuesday. And again, I'll shoot you a link for a 30 day trial. If you want to get into the network and try it out, uh, just email me, Eric at restaurant unstoppable next month. 
August is going to be the month of business planning. We have Jim Laub from RestaurantOwner.com joining us with uh, as well as Joe Erickson, his partner. Uh, they're going to take us through their business plan template. We have Bplans.com joining us. We're going to be going through their software live plan. And also, uh, we have some really cool bonus episodes. And all these events that I'm sharing with you right now are live in the network. You get to join us, and I get to put you in the same room with people you normally wouldn't have access to. That's the power of the network. Uh, and if you're you know somebody who needs to work on your business plan and you want support working on your business plan, the network's going to be there for you uh, just as a support system aside from all these live events and I have coffee with Eric we can reflect on your business plan you can share your progress I mean this is the stuff I'm going to be working on during August is my business plan and really refining refining my vision and if you're going through this stuff I want you to go through it with us Uh, that's it for today guys until next time peace out